Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 111, Death and Disquiet, featuring Marcus. I'm Scatty, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, and joining us today, we're really excited about this one, we have Marcus, longtime blood rider, a friend of the podcast. One thing I love about Marcus is he uh, chimes in pretty consistently with just about anything we talk about on Twitter. And it's just like always reliable. He's just that friend that's always there. And the funny thing is, is I pretty much always agree with everything that he says. So Marcus, we love you, man. Look for him on Twitter. Uh, he's at Marcus. That's M-A-R-C-O-O-S 14 at Marcus 14. But Marcus, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have really you. Excited. And let's just point out real quick that it's like 4.30 in the morning for Marcus. He's got coffee in him. Uh, while his family slumbers, he's here talking A Song of Ice and Fire with us. So we appreciate yeah. that, my friend. Hey, no problem at all. Yeah, this is this is, <laughs> this is is one of the worst worst time lineups we had. I remember when we talked to Yoke Boy once. It's kind of the same thing. It's like mm -hmm. when he, back when he was over in, in uh, the UK. It's, uh, it's not always the best timing. So thank you, Marcus, for, for making the schedule work. Yeah. Uh, all right, quick some announcements we'll jump into before we, we dive into the episode. We've got a good one tonight. Uh, but we are recording tonight on the day before our final four begins for Song of Madness, which yeah. looks to be, at the moment, it looks like it's going to be Brienne. It's Brienne of Tarth. Duncan. Oh. The okay. Tall, Sir Duncan. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, Ned, that's Eddard Stark. Mm. Uh, and Alisan. I don't know who that is. Alisan Targaryen. Alisan Targaryen. Alisan. Are we sure she's not from uh, Lord of the Rings or something? She could be. <laughs> this is our 111st episode. So 111st. Good poll, buddy. <laughs> so, well, we got to give a credit to Marcus. He brought that up on our pre-call. Uh <laughs> so yeah, so uh, you guys listening won't hear this until the tournament's over. Uh, right. It's going to be done and dusted on Monday uh, before this episode comes out. So some predictions from the group here? Who we might think comes out on top? So, so I think that, well, I, I have two different answers. One from my head and one from my heart. So my head's telling me that it's Brienne's year. <laughs> Brienne's, Brienne's going to go all the way. I think she's already beaten some uh, really, really sort of good seeds. And she seems to have a lot of support from the fandom. So I think she'll probably win. But if I was going with my heart, then it would be uh, good Queen Alisanne. I think she's uh, one of the best characters from the history of A Song of Ice and Fire. Absolutely fantastic in uh, in Blood and Fire. So I'd really like to see her do it, and I hope the fandom rallies behind her. Good answer. Good answer. I'd like to hear it. Matt, what do you think? Oh, she's uh, she's done well so far. I see what you're saying, and she is a great character. I think she's won all of her – I'm looking through her matchups. She's won all of her matchups pretty handily. 82-18, 67-33, yeah. 73-20. Yeah, she's won, like, hardcore. We'll see if she gets past Eddard, but um, – I agree with uh, Marcus. I think Brienne. I think this might be Brienne's year. But you know, I finally come to grips with it, Scad and Marcus. I've my favorite character in A Song of Ice and Fire is Ned Stark. 
I know he was only in one book, but he's the guy that I identify with the most. I just love him. I love everything about the guy. I'll go to my grave defending him. Uh, he's my favorite guy, and I'd love to see him win. He is my. I'm putting it on wax here on our 111st episode. <laughs> my favorite A Song of Ice and Fire character is Eddard Stark. Well, that's that's great to hear. I'm glad you feel so convinced about it. Was there something that happened in the discourse today that that cemented that for you? It was actually a. It was actually more towards the beginning of the tournament, and uh, I don't know what it was exactly. It was. I know it was when B Word. Her criteria this year for a song of madness is who would Matt vote for, and uh, after doing who would Scad vote for last year, and. Um, I don't know, man. I just was thinking about it and I was like, I got to just come clean. I love the guy. Yeah. He's just my man. I feel like you're a lot like him in some ways. Uh, yeah, I, I see it. Uh, I know. Really, really serious. <laughs> well, I'm thinking more on the parenting component, but. Um, Cut off heads. But uh, yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad you've come to terms with it. I have no idea who my favorite character is anymore. It's uh, a tough one. Mark. Uh, we'll probably ask Marcus who his is we, we'll, later. We'll right? probably get yeah. there. Uh, yeah. I'm with you guys. I think Brian, it's probably Brian's year. I'd love to see Ned win. I, honestly, I love all four of the people that are remaining. Yeah, I, I love them, them all. On. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy. Uh, whoever, let's let the best person win. So uh, I'm sure you have already, uh, everybody out there. But if you haven't yet, go check out the latest episode from Radio Westeros. Uh, it's this is their wins primers uh, series. Uh, their recent episode has a special advertisement from yours truly, from from Matt and I. Uh, and go give it a listen. It's it's uh, pretty funny. Yeah, and the episode, the episode from our esteemed friends at Radio Westeros, isn't bad either. <laughs> and speaking of Radio Westeros, Matt. Yeah, next week, uh, April 11th, I guess it would have already passed by the time this episode releases. Well, no, not for our Patreon listeners. They'll get it on the day before. But April 11th, I'll be appearing uh, uh, with Radio Westeros to talk John Connington. So, look out for that one. Indeed. And for our patrons, uh, we did just release uh, our wit episode covering what if the phrase botched the red wedding uh that was a ton of fun to record uh, me and matt that was really fun. got together for that and got a little got a little angst out at getting to you know re redesign what goes down on that fateful day it was a lot of fun so if you're a patron go give that a listen if you're interested in hearing that uh go check us out on on patreon uh that's that post is available to anybody at uh our six dollar and up level um so check that out and uh what do we have coming in april matt we are circling back around to new do another best of davos fingers episode so we'll be doing um episodes i should have written this down 11 through should be 18 18 Yeah. yeah we're gonna do eight episodes so episodes 11 through 18 will still be in the, our Game of Thrones apps. Brooke will be on it. And uh, we, we had a lot of fun recording these last year. We go through, we listen to them, we pick out our favorite parts, whether they're super serious or whether they're really funny or they're a moment of genius or a really thought-provoking discussion that we had. And we compile them all into one big episode with Scat and I here in 2021 doing commentary on each of the snippets or the clips. 
and uh, then we put them all together for you to listen to. So uh, expect that to come out sometime in April. We don't have a date for that yet, but yep, you'll hear it. You'll get it. You'll get it. And the last again, that's for our uh, Patreon. That's right, supporters. The last thing I wanted to touch on real quick was uh, announced this week a Broadway play based on yeah. it looks like the Tourney of Harrenhal. I am mm. a sucker for live theater. I will eagerly await details about this, but uh, I'm really excited. You guys have thoughts on this? I I don't have a great deal of thoughts. I'm not a I'm I'm not a Broadway kind of guy. Well, it's a bit difficult from the UK, but I'm not a live theater person, so. I'll probably not catch that myself. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how it is as soon as I can get tickets. Scat will sneak in a cell phone and he'll record <laughs> the whole thing. He'll bootleg, he'll bootleg a copy for you. <laughs> uh, Scat, all I know is that there's already been an A Song of Ice and Fire musical done, <laughs> and that's the only A Song of Ice and Fire musical that I need. So, Yes. Uh, yes, Matt is referring to Westeros, an American musical. Uh, which uh, was written by a bunch of friends from the, the Good Ice and Fire Con. Uh, I'll leave their names out here, but uh, you can certainly go find them, uh, Westeros and American Musical, which was a lot of fun to be a part of. Look it up on YouTube. You'll find it. Yep. Part one and two. Part one and two. Uh, okay, let's jump into the chapter. We're, we're going to be covering Ghost of Winterfell today, which is a Theon chapter. Uh, but we'll touch on previous chapters for Theon 2 uh, and probably future stuff as well. Uh, this is a really, really turbulent time for Theon. He's struggling with his identity, uh, and that journey is is pretty delicious. So I'm sure we're going to get into some of some of all of that before and after. So look for look look for the spoilers uh, in, in this in this episode for sure. Right, and as always, you can reach us. In, from a variety of places, in a variety of places, uh, we are DavosFingers at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. Our Twitter f- handle is at DavosFingers. And, of course, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash DavosFingers. That's right. All right, should we dig into this thing? Let's do it. We're going to char- start right off with a chapter summary, and then we'll get into some analysis. Okay, so we've got the ghost in winter. Uh, excuse me, I actually made a note about this in my notes, so I need to call it correctly. It's a ghost in Winterfell. I don't even own a gun. Let alone uh, any. A ghost in Winterfell. There's about to be a few more of them, though, I'll tell you that. Uh, one right here, okay. He was pissing off the wall and fell. That was the explanation. The reality is that people have been, uh, they've been dying. This time it's a drunk in the Risewell camp. But Theon couldn't help but wonder why anyone would come out in this weather to take a drunken piss. But it's all anyone can talk about. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid who's going with a girl who saw Ferris pass out of 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Okay, <laughs> maybe maybe it's not that bad, but the gossip level is high. Some say it is Stannis with friends inside the camp. Others that Stannis certainly is frozen to death already. But everyone is on edge with rumors flying around. And why is everyone so on edge? Well, winter has come. The yard is a mess of snow and you can't see three feet beyond your face from the walls. They cover the horses in blankets and string ropes between the buildings so that people don't get lost. One man made the mistake of staying, of saying that Stannis's red woman might be able to melt these snows. <laughs> yeah, that man, uh, he met an unfortunate end. 
while the lords ate ham, Theon was eating his peas porridge when a woman tapped on his shoulder. Holly, one of Abel's washerwomen. She wants to see the crypts and is hoping Theon will take her. Abel could come too if Theon wants. He doesn't want. He wants to be left alone. But he does realize that Abel is trying to find the way out that Theon used to get in when he invaded Winterfell. He declines as he doesn't want to upset Ramsay. Instead, he wanders the premises, going to the wall walk and contemplating what a jump from the walls would mean. The snows are deep and would cushion the fall. But he knows that Ramsay would hunt him down even if he survived. So he doesn't jump. The next morning, Anus Frey's squire was found naked and dead. Drunk, they said. But Theon wondered why he was naked. Then on the same day, another dead body. A flint crossbowman. Apparently kicked by a horse. Theon thinks that a club is more likely. Yeah, I'm kind of with him. Uh, the deaths are starting to draw some attention and some worry. Hostine Frey wonders if they should take the battle to Stannis. Stout and Risewell disagree. But Wyman's game? Lead us out, and my knights will ride behind you. But, uh, as you can imagine, there are trust issues. Hostine does not want Wyman's troops behind him. <laughs> yeah. Hostine and the other Freys remember uh, about Jared, Rhaegar, and Simon Frey, who were Manderly's guests and lost on the way here from White Harbor. They want answers about that. Wyman does little but encourage their suspicion. Uh, the road has many dangers, sir. <laughs> I gave your brothers guest gifts when we took our leave of White Harbor. The tone clear. Once we gave the gifts, they were not our responsibility. Roger Risewell and Barbary Dustin had to split them up before a brawl ensued. That night the stable collapsed under the weight of snow. Twenty-six horses and two bodies were found dead. And then a third body, that of Yellow Dick, one of Ramsay's favourites, found with his cock stuffed down his throat. Roos orders it burnt and for no one to discuss it. <laughs> So, of course, the whole castle told the tale. Apparently, finding the killer would be worth a golden dragon. Ugh. You know, Yellow Dick, if, if his dick had been a little bit more nimble, he might have avoided that fate. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. The dick would have run away. Oh, dear. That, yeah, Where do you that... guys want to start? Some interesting things going on here. So, I mean, I think I think you've just hit upon probably one of the most gruesome aspects of that chapter, the the whole death of um, of Yellow Dick and and having his cock stuffed down his throat. Man, I just don't even want to think about how that's um, how that's happened and how it's got to the stage where it can break his teeth as it's happening. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now we're talking about it, though, Marcus. So thank you. But yeah, because someone had someone had to take it, hold it in a way that they could remove it from the body, and then they're holding it in their hands as they forcefully shove it in a man's mouth. Was Yellow Dick alive when this happened? I probably to break the teeth. Right, he's probably clenching his teeth, not wanting to have his own penis in his mouth. Man, <laughs> I don't know. I never thought about that. I assumed it must be that he was dead and that they just were careless in shoving it in there and broke some of his teeth. But now that you mention Perhaps. it, that makes way more sense because it's not that hard, especially if, well, I don't know if this person was alone or not. I mean, 
we kind of get the answer as to who we think did this later. Uh, so maybe there were multiple of them holding his mouth open or, oh man, it's, it's gruesome to think about. I always assumed he was dead and then they cut it off and then showed it in. But now you got me thinking. Marcus, what do you think, alive or dead? I think he must have been dead. Because I don't know how they would have prevented other people from hearing the noise if he was alive. I mean, you've you've got to be resisting that fairly loudly. Um, So, um, Good point. Plus, how many layers is he wearing? (laughs) They got to take off to get to to the dick. That's a really good point, Marcus. Yeah. Yep. yep. My, my big concern yeah. is what what state was the guy in when he died? That it was um, a, of a shape and, and, and size to cause yeah. the damage? <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying, I always imagined it was the fist breaking the teeth, the fist holding the penis as it was being shoved into his mouth that broke the teeth. You're saying that it might have been the yeah, penis itself, I... depending on the state that it was in. Man, we need yeah. we need Bobby MD or Lindsay Ford on this call to, to answer what happens to a... Well, I, I mean, Clerks answered that question, well, I guess. It stays erect for a time, right? Yeah. I can't believe this is where we're going this early. <laughs> uh, I, this is the first thing that we're talking about. I love I, it. This is this is going to be an awesome. But episode. you know, you know what it does? It does. We're joking around about this, but it actually it's evidence that I don't think it's brought up a lot. He was hard when he died. Well, that indicates maybe some certain people in the castle that might be, you know, better suspects than others. Wait, are, we don't need to dance around this. We're doing spoilers, yeah. right? So the washerwomen, yeah. we think did it. Right. And I'm, we have evidence of them flirting. Yes. So we have, yeah, we see, we see them, we see Theon walk right past uh, one of them, you know, with, with, a, with one of the you know, men at arms. With a rise well. A rise well. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I wasn't trying to be coy because we shouldn't spoil just that they're not noticing this. Shouldn't they notice this? Sure. Or sure. Any, yeah, anyway. Interesting. Marcus, you got me thinking about something new. <laughs> Thanks, man. Didn't take long today. Welcome to Davos Fingers. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's it's not a not a pleasant thought. To be honest, Matt, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna head off down your avenue of thinking. Maybe it was the fist. That's that's far less disturbing. It, it truly is. It truly is. Uh <laughs> Oh, this one's already going down in the books. It, I love it. It is. I um go ahead. Well, I was just going to go to kind of the deaths in general, mm-hmm. and just kind okay. of what it what it kind of says about well, what state it puts the camp in. I suppose it's not so much about this dead man, but the combination of the dead man and the mood in the camp already. Like half mm-hmm. of them are half of them are sick of winter, not used to all this cold. How, the the other half partially might be welcoming to Stannis because they're not really all about this new government. Uh, almost temp, almost like they're tempting each other to 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 let these murders and these deaths reach a boiling point. Yeah, and and that's what I put down as a note for this chapter as well. That there's this there's a powder keg feel to the chapter. Yes, right. There's a there's a tension. Think of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. Attention, attention. Um, which is interesting in the 
prior Theon chapter, the Turncloak, their the morale is much higher. Yeah, uh, it talks about how men are roaring with approval, banging their fists on the long plank tables. Uh, it's granite walls of Winterfell stood to keep the worst of the wind and weather at bay. They were well stocked with food and drink. They had fires to warm them, a place to dry their clothes, snug corners to lie down and sleep. Uh, the war- Great Hall was warm and cozy, it's called. And uh, they're like, Stannis has none of these things. And it's interesting to see that flip from that chapter to this one. Yes. And I like how you brought up that it's the idea that, yeah, the snow is adding to this, but then you add in those killings and all of a sudden that tension level goes almost through the roof. Yeah. And the interesting thing also being that there's uh, – the killings are happening. You talked about kind of the different factions in the camp and the killings seem to be kind of uh, regardless, irregardless of faction right there. You have tall hearts or um, what was it? So it's a Risewell who dies, a Frey that dies, a Flint that dies, yellow Dick that dies. Yeah. Yeah. You, you might have, you might've started to think that like, okay, it's Bruce's men, uh, you know, doing the killings because it's not his men dying but yellow dick is he's you know he's like a made man in that camp it's it's kind of a big deal that he's that he's been killed i think he's one of ramsey's yeah so i think that's really interesting about who's dying um and it's worth it's worth noting all of those so a a riswell or risewell man at arms a fray squire but both of those are houses that are, are ostensibly supporting the the Boltons, Yellow Dick, obviously being one of one of Ramsay's men. The mm-hmm. the the other one who dies is a House Flint crossbowman. Now I'm not 100% certain on this because there's more more flints than you can shake a stick at, but I think it's one of the flints from Flint Flint's fingers, and they are also <laughs> noted at least on the wiki as being one of the houses that supports the Boltons. So so I think mm. it's all all Bolton or Bolton supporters that are being picked off, which I'm pretty sure is a, you know, it's a really hmm. good piece of psychological warfare as well to, to really do that, that whole ratcheting the tension up. Yeah. And Matt, you, you mentioned something that I don't want to let pass too, just about, uh, I think the word used was powder keg. Um, you know, a powder keg is, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's potential energy, right? It's it's mm-hmm. waiting there. Um, the snow is this suppressive force, right? That keeps things, you know, it's quieter in, in snow, right? Like it's everything's everything just seems quieter. There's almost this oppressive feeling around, and and that powder keg is just waiting to go, uh, and will I think will offset the snow a little bit, right? And that we we get some of that in this chapter. I think the true powder keg moment, though, is in the next one. Um, we can talk about that a little bit later, maybe. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, and interesting, though, too, that, uh, you know, Riz- Rizwells are supporting the Boltons. I called them Rizwells before, but I liked I liked the pronunciation Rizwell. I think I'm going to stick with it from now on. Um, but, but we see that, you know, they might be kind of uh maybe we'll talk about this more later they might be they, they might be 
we got some GNC stuff going on. They might be willing to kind of switch sides a little bit, especially Barbary Dustin was a Rizwell and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it, it seems like each of these murders uh, increases upon the previous one in terms of violence, right? The Rizwell one, he'd just fallen and broken his neck. The other one was dead and naked. Uh, the Flint Crossbowman had the broken skull and then yellow dick as we've discussed. So it's like someone is doing this very intentionally and ramping it up each time, each time and each time we've already come out and said that, you know, the washer women all but admit to it in the next chapter, Theon one. Um, what do you two think is the purpose for this? Why are they, why are they uh, ramping up that tension? Yeah, it's a great question uh, because we see the result in the end it, it it becomes part of this powder keg that helps the camp explode toward toward battle and it doesn't seem like what they want when that happens they're in a rush to get what they need out of camp which is again spoilers jane um mm -hmm. so it it doesn't really it doesn't really add up to me exactly what the reason is yeah Marcus, so do you have any thoughts on it i mean i'm sort of pretty literal in terms of the way I, I read the story. I'm not one of the, the great thinkers in terms of having theories about stuff, but it kind of makes sense to me that they're, they're looking for an opportunity where the camp's in turmoil and there's a lot of chaos and confusion so that they can enact their plan without being noticed. So I think, you know, getting the, getting the powder keg to explode, getting everybody to mm. uh, get ready to fight or, or, you know, have some form of civil war within the castle gives them the uh, the cover to enact the plan to rescue Jane. Yeah, it kind of does work out yeah. that way. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, I, it seems to me that doing, I mean, it's worked out, so good for them. It seems to me that, like, murdering all these people would just <laughs> ratchet up the security level and the it would do, it would add chaos too, but the people would be more aware and more looking for weird stuff going on and more paranoid about people doing things they shouldn't be doing but I guess it goes both yeah ways but y'all yeah you also look for where the danger is though too and as far as anybody knows jane's not going anywhere yep. right she's the worst kept secret in all the camp uh barbary dustin is it it's in the previous chapter to this one i think where she talks about how everyone can yes. hear her crying and yes. that Theon needs to get her to, to shut up if they don't want to have problems. And um, I, I don't think anyone really expects anything to happen to Jane, uh, partially because everyone's scared to death of yeah, Ramsey, too. So I, I think they're banking on not a lot of people thinking yeah, about I think her. I mean, Scad raises a really good point, though. The, the plan itself does seem to contain a few flaws in that it doesn't take... Doesn't it shouldn't take too much to put together this idea that maybe there's a, you know, a psycho killer woman on the loose, you know, who's who's doing all of this. The fact that so many of the guys seem to be spending time with the with the washer women is should you know should have been a clue that they picked up on, and it seems like the deaths mm -hmm. create that suspicion that may lead to somebody discovering that they've got some ulterior motive. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Is it weird to you guys that Theon does have free run of the castle? That he's just allowed to walk like wherever he wants? Mm. 
Um, didn't think about it much. I yeah, and so I guess it doesn't it doesn't seem weird to me because I didn't think about it. Uh, I, again, I think it's one of those things where they just don't see any danger in him. Yeah. Um, nobody likes him. They'll go around calling him Turncloak all the time. But all you have to do is look at him to know that yeah, or to I... conclude that he's not a threat. And... Yeah, maybe some mushroom or jingle bell situation going on. They're just not worried about him. I think they just think he's completely broken to Ramsey's will. The, the fact that, you know, he's so utterly terrified of everything and, you know, people have seen what Ramsey has done to the previous Reek and I'm sure to other people. They just don't think he's got it in him to resist Ramsey. Yeah, the, I guess this just kind of all goes to a, a feeling I generally have that I didn't. I don't think I really saw it on earlier reads until until this one. Just that, like, if this stuff started happening, I would think leadership would like lock this shit down. Like Theon's roaming, roaming around. No, he's not. He's staying in. We have guards here and there, and everyone else is staying where they are, and we're you know we're figuring this out. Kind of. A little bit maybe like what Danny tries to do in Marine, although that's, you know, a whole city instead of just this <laughs> camp. But um I don't know. I, I, I think in in the next chapter maybe it is that I really noticed that I don't think Roos is leading so well, and I think there's reasons reasons for that. No one wants to follow him. Uh, and he probably knows that. And he knows it, yep. But just interesting, I guess. Yeah. It's a it's a little bit like um yeah, it's a little bit like Princess Leia says to um, to Governor Tarkin, though. You more, the more you tighten your fingers, the more systems will slip through your through your. Sorry, the more you tighten your grasp, the more systems will slip through your fingers. Mm-hmm. And if they try and lock the castle down, you know they've still got so many different people who've got roles to play. They need guards on the walls. They need guards at the door. They've got to have people, you know, cooking and well, cleaning and all the all the other stuff that's got to be done. Yeah. So it's um it's one of those it's it's very difficult to see how they could lock it down enough. You kind of think well Theon's Theon's one of the obvious candidates but as we see later and, and we'll talk in the second part of the chapter Roos knows where Theon's going and knows what he's up to. So it's not like he's not watched. Right? Although they can't do it at all times obviously. I love that Leia quote and I think it I think it applies maybe maybe to the lockdown that uh that I was proposing, but also just in general to how he's treating the other lords. He's got to keep things loose and not oppressive, or he's just going to tighten that noose around his own neck from these other lords that he knows are against him already. Yeah, very true. Like he talks about, uh, you could add Ramsey to that list too. You can tell that Roos doesn't like Ramsey. <laughs> he doesn't agree with the stuff that Ramsey's doing. <laughs> In fact, when he tells everybody, don't tell anyone what happened to Yellow Dick, who's the first person that goes and tells everybody what happened to Yellow Dick? <laughs> it's freaking Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, in public, Roos is like, yes, my son. There's a part where he's like, yes, my son is correct in this. Da, 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 da. So he like outwardly shows him support. But he also has to like give that loose leash to Ramsey as well in order to keep him from slipping through his fingers. Not that you can contain Ramsey anyways. But um, yeah, it's uh, rather than trying to deal with it, they make excuses. They they go off of excuses. When the Riswell men died, the lead the 
I can't remember which Rizwell starts with an R, Roos or Roger, whoever, made an excuse. He just fell. Uh, the phrase made an excuse. Um, the Flint crossbowman, they made an excuse. He was kicked by a horse. It's just excuse after excuse after excuse. And the problem with that is, is everybody, everybody knows that it's not that any of those things. And that just makes things worse rather than better. Yeah, it's it's a leadership function kind of thing, isn't it? They they need to spot the problem, own it, and and deal with it. And they're they're making excuses and trying to pretend it's not happening. It's not giving uh, a great a great show of leadership to the the people in the castle, which is probably contributing in a in a sort of vicious vicious cycle. To there is less respect and less willingness to follow Roost. The worse he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they already don't like him anyways. Nobody likes him. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes anybody in this camp. So, you know, I, I don't feel bad for Roos. He's awful. But what a crappy situation to be in. I don't know that any leader could pull these factions together, especially one as corrupt as Roos already is. Yeah. You're just not going to do it, given the circumstances. Yeah. I, he almost seems... There, there's one point where, I think it's again in the next chapter, but where... Theon notices that for the first time maybe he saw fear uh, in Roos's eyes, <clears throat> and yeah, you get you get a bit of a sense that Roos is flailing. Like, what does he do? Mm-hmm. He he doesn't feel like he can he can march out. Uh, probably when he does finally tell them to, it almost feels like it's a last ditch effort to keep any semblance of control because they're rioting in front of his right in front of his eyes. Uh, so yeah, I feel like he's just kind of he's in a, a no-win situation and he knows it. And it also feels like some of them, Lady Dustin in particular, they're trying to delay. They're like, they're trying to pack that powder keg more and more full. Like everything Lady sure. Dustin says is like, nah, just wait. Lord Stannis will freeze out there. We don't need to do anything. Let's just hang out here. Just delay, delay, delay. Right? Don't, you know, time will solve all the problems. I think she knows that the pressure is going to make him buckle. I I agree. Yeah, yeah I think I, I I mean I think that's really interesting about about Barbary Dustin. I, I've I've sort of got some some notes further down and we'll leave her in the second half of the chapter so maybe it's 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 more relevant to talk about it there. But I think she is really intriguing as a character. I can't I know which way I feel it's going to go. I don't think I can prove anything well i don't think any of us can prove a lot about what might happen in the future but that's um... never stopped us here Marcus. <laughs> have, have, you know this have you heard yeah. our theory about the truth underneath dragon uh, dragon isle or <laughs> anyway sorry i interrupted so so i mean i i do think that, that sort of Scad was alluding to. She is, she is, she is definitely playing a long game that is not mm-hmm. pro Roose Bolton. Um, and although I'm sure she has some some personal interest in some specific things, I just don't buy that she she hates the Starks as she is portrayed on paper right. as doing. Yeah, right. Yeah, Theon even notes he's like. Barbary should know better than to say that Stannis, we need to just wait for Stannis to die. And she does know better. She 100% knows better. And she's just, yeah, she's 
packing the powder keg, as we said. Um, it's one thing about the Lords of the North and the North in general is they take, uh, what's the word to use? Maybe romanticized, a very romanticized view of their leadership uh, as compared to the South. The South, I don't know if it's because they've just had Targaryen kings and rebellions and stuff like that throughout their history, whereas the North has been pretty steady. Actually, they've been super steady, right? It's been the Starks have ruled since forever, basically, right? Yeah. And so they, part of Roos's problem here is he doesn't have anything for these people to get behind. There's no do this for the North. There's no do this for the Starks. I mean, he killed all Starks. I don't know that everybody knows that he did. I don't know that everybody knows of his participation in the Red Wedding even. But there's no romantic idea or ideal to get behind with Roos. And the Northern Lords... They want that. They do that. That's ingrained in them. You know, we go to the 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 mountain clans and, you know, they want to do it for the Ned's girl. Uh, you have Wyman Manderley, whether you believe him or not, that they, he supports the Starks because of what the Starks did for House Manderley all those years ago. Uh, and these people support the Starks because they believe in them and they believe in their leadership and their identity in the North is the Starks are a big part of that. And there's just none of that with Roos. And so, of course, they're not going to follow him. They have no reason to follow him. They're not like these southern vassals that follow their liege lord just because they're supposed to. Many of them do it because they truly believe in the leadership of the Starks, and they don't have any of that loyalty towards the Boltons. In, in fact, it's the opposite. They have For they sure. have disloyalty to, toward the Boltons. They know the history. They know that House Bolton and House Stark have come to blows. It's been a while now but have come to blows dozens of times over the thousands of years, right? Like, House Bolton is always challenging them. They know the history. They know how deep that runs. So, you know, they're just now getting over their young wolf who they had so much hope in, so much pride in being murdered, and they're, they're supposed to swallow a pill of the worst lord being in charge. Like, yeah, they're all the angry. Nobody likes. They're all angry about it. Even, even if they... Are like, all right, support the crown. They say it's this guy. They're still angry about it deep down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, I mean, if you look at the whole sort of modus operandi of House Bolton, it's 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 not a house that you could love. Their whole thing is built on fear. The, the, yeah. the castle's the dread fort. Their banner is a flayed mm, man. Mm -hmm. none, none, none of this is going to engender loyalty or trust <laughs> or, or a desire to support them. Yeah, when, and, when a flayed man is your sigil, uh -huh. it shows you rule through intimidation for sure, uh -huh. and violence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's a uh, it's interesting too to hear Roos in these chapters as we reread them, you know, talk about his uh, he calls his his rule a peaceful land, a quiet people, like kind of like <laughs> you said, just kind of like subduing everything, like just keep everything quiet, uh, and you know, don't let it explode, but also he doesn't even have any loyalty even really amongst his family. He's unworried. Really. He advises Domeric not to go find Ramsey, but he still lets him do it. He doesn't forbid it. Uh, Ramsey kills him probably. I mean, that's what everyone pretty much thinks and knows. Uh, he also 
knows that he's probably going to get children with his his new wife and knows Ramsey's going to murder them and doesn't care. In right. fact, welcomes it, saying, eh, he says it, yeah. They'll be too young to to be effective as leaders by the time I'm dead, which is a crazy way to think about like your children. Like they have no there's no empathy in that house in in the symbolism like you said Marcus or in the actual people running it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mhm. Yep. He's going to get his. He's just going to do what he can right now. So, yeah, he's screwed. Um he's he's way screwed. Should we talk about he's Theon a little bit? Shaw. You guys you guys got any any fun interesting stuff to talk about on Theon? Um I mean it's it's weird it's 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 his chapter but my thoughts aren't really on on Theon it's more the things he observes. I suppose if we if we need to talk about him it's Yeah. that I mean mm. there are things that sort of keep recurring the number of times he he thinks about death wishes he was wishes he was dead and hopes that different things may may um lead to somebody killing him is uh is you know it's pretty heartbreaking stuff to to, to read and see and i'm i'm one of those people who thinks you know theon definitely needed to 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 pay for his crimes but this seems to be it's mm-hmm. let, let's say he's he's paid paid back in spades what he was uh what he what he owed yeah yeah it, i mean it's interesting he he yeah thinking about death a lot i, I wonder with him and I, I hate to i hate to even bring it up uh a, a little bit and I, I know it could be a trigger for a lot of people but you know somebody that's in the baddest position as he says he is you know it seems like he'd he'd take his own way out um you know like as bad as this really is the fear that he's constantly in of it getting worse and losing more limbs and all, all of these things it's surprising to me a little bit that his thoughts don't really go there it's always about being killed someone killing him um his thoughts never get dark enough and i i think i always found that interesting but this time i reading through it i kind of thought there, there's a lot of there's a lot of little moments a lot of times they're in italic you know italicized characters or whatever where he's he's still Theon in there, and he still remembers who right. he is, even though he's constantly telling himself to remember his name is Reek. Um, kind of like Arya, always remembering that she's Arya. Theon's still Theon down there, and he 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 feels so much shame when Jane asks him to to rescue her, and uh, you know that he couldn't possibly do it, but he feels feels shame about it. Somebody who is really in really that bad of a mental place wouldn't feel the shame about it; they'd be resigned to it, and he still feels those things. So I think there's more of him in there than he's letting on. I think we start to see that maybe in the next chapter, but um, yeah, it's just very interesting to me that these moments of Theon, even, even recognizing Theon thought it was more likely a club or why would anybody go out there to pee at, you know, he, he's still got that sharp wit, that brain. He puts together exactly why Abel probably wants to talk to him about the way he got into the castle. He's still very sharp mentally, even though he's been beaten down. That was long. Sorry, guys. That was great. I, I loved it. Um, it. It goes to the point that Theon was kind of that he, happy-go-lucky-ish. Yeah. 
he was, you know, smiling. He always had a smile on his face. And sometimes he didn't trust that smile or he didn't like the smile, but he had it. And that probably is a big reason why he has to keep reminding himself that he's Reek now, because the real Theon keeps coming out. Um, and he, he does wish for death, and that really is heartbreaking, like you said, Marcus. Uh, you know, when he's walking out in the cold, and he just, he he's always, you know, he's always out walking, and he always finds himself up on the battlements, even though it's really, it's a lot colder out there. The guard mentions, it's freezing up there, man, you don't want to go up there. But he always ends up up there. Um, and I wonder if that's like subconsciously his soul wanting to break free, right? From the bonds of reek. Um, he, you know, he gets up and he looks out and the real heartbreaking thing is, is he goes up there almost subconsciously wanting to break free. And I'm not saying he's going to jump or anything, but he can just see beyond Winterfell normally when you go up to the battlements. So he can almost envision a freedom. And the really sad thing is, is that in this snow, he can't. He can't see, right? You can't see more than like 10 feet in this weather. So he goes up there almost subconsciously hoping, wishing for freedom, and he can't even see it when he's up there. And that breaks my heart even more. But, yeah, that's, that's, a, great, that's um, a, great, a great observation. And, and seeing how he is, he is being constricted by the, um, the surroundings and the environment, and it's, it's narrowing in on him. I think that there's a couple of points I wanted to make on it. One is just the beauty of, of George's writing mm. and the way from chapter to chapter we're seeing a slight reemergence of, of Theon from, from Reek and you, and you note it, you see yeah. the more times he's he, he's starting to think as Theon and then he has to keep reminding himself that I'm not the, I'm not Theon, I'm Reek or, or you know, he's, he's trying to stay in, stay in character and you see it in the way he's thinking about, about Jane as well he keeps thinking about her and calling a Jane in his head, and then you've got to remember she's Arya. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so there's some stuff there that's mm -hmm. really good. But, but I do think, uh, sort of, to get back to why he hasn't ever got to the stage of of, of killing himself, I think there's a his confidence has been so so crushed and so shattered by by the experiences he's gone through that. I think he he's he sort of lacks that agency to take the action himself. I think he's almost paralyzed by, you know, if I tr it, if mm. I stay alive, more bad things will happen to me, and I could end it now, and and avoid the bad things happening to me in the future. But if I get it wrong, and only half kill myself, more bad things that are even worse than death are going to happen to me in the very near future. Well, yeah, so I think he's he's all about yeah. delaying the, uh, the 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 flaying and the losing of limbs and all that kind of stuff that's uh, just too horrible to think about. Right. Yeah, probably also the reason he doesn't jump, right? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. honestly, like he probably could have made it, right? I mean, it's a storm out there. He's one person. Nobody was watching. Like yeah, everyone was cold. He, yep. he probably could have gotten away, stay upwind, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I feel like maybe he could have, but, but yeah, he's, he's paralyzed. Like you said, Marcus, I mean, I think you're probably right. And that's probably a big reason why he's not taking any sort of action. He's, uh, you know, to, to move back to the broken man, he's, you know, limping from day to day, looking for a skin of wine, uh, you know, to ease his pain. Right. He's just trying to get through him. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Good point. And I mean, 
this is the same guy. Uh, I can't remember if it's one chapter or two chapters before this. He he's talking about how he's in the bedchamber with Jane and Ramsey, right on their wedding night, and he had the knife, and he thinks like three times, yep. I could stab Ramsey right now. Yeah, right? two. Ch- yeah, and he doesn't. Yeah, it's two two chapters before, isn't yeah. it? It's and, um, it's it's the wedding, the wedding ceremony, the bedding. Well, not really a bedding, but yeah, yeah. Oof. <laughs> the the Prince of Winterfell or whatever it is. Um, yeah, he's, he could do it. And this is, this is the same kid just real quick. This is the same kid that shot the wildling hostage, the shot, the wildling that was holding Bran hostage. You remember that in Game of Thrones where Rob got pissed at him because he was so, Bran was so close to the, the wildling and he could have accidentally missed and hit Bran. But Theon was so confident in his abilities that he felt like he could take that shot. And he did. And he killed the guy. He shot him right through the eye, if I remember right. And this is that same guy. And so it really shows the effect that, uh, that, that Ramsey and Theon's experiences over the past couple books have had on him that to this point that he's paralyzed. I like that you use that word to where he won't jump off those battlements he won't take that last step for himself. Um, he's frozen. Yeah. And all I, you transitioned to what I was going to say, which was a throwaway until you transitioned it nicely. Uh, Ooh. Reading these chapters has just made me remember how much I hate Ramsey. And <laughs> as, as you have noted, Ned is your favorite character uh, and it's solidified. I think I'm solidifying Ramsey as my, my most hated character. He is just evil in a way that Joffrey even isn't. And uh, I, I, I just can't stand it. Just the mental warfare he plays with everyone is just disgusting. And certainly I'm sure he didn't have a great childhood either, but man, what a villain. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is just yeah. a, a vile, vile person. It's... it's um the the difference between him and Joffrey I think is 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 visible in that Joffrey seems I mean Joffrey is horrible and vile a lot of what Joffrey does seems to be in the moment evilness so I'm faced with some circumstances and I'll take the evil choice because I'm just a horrible person whereas Ramsay seems to be premeditated and planned long term evilness yeah mm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And he just, his methods, like Matt said, break this man, this confident, smiling, charismatic, arrogant even man, break him in a matter of a few months and turn him into this creature just because he wants to. And Theon is to the point now, never touch me. Never yeah, touch don't me, even he says touch me. to Holly mm-hmm. as, as she sits down next to him. Uh, he is truly, truly broken. Yeah, his clothes and rags and tatters and all wet. Uh, this is in the next part of the chapter, right? And he says, why don't you get some new clothes? Those are the same clothes you wore to the wedding or whatever. And he's like, I wasn't given any new clothes. Yeah. That's his answer. Yep. Yeah, and in previous chapters, Roos is trying to give him new clothes. And he's like, nope, nope, don't give me new clothes. Ramsey, Ramsey will be really upset if you give me new clothes and replace the ones he told me to always wear. Um, 
Yeah. And frickin' Roos could be like, well, I don't care. He's my son. He listens to me. But nope. No. <laughs> yeah. Roos is like, yeah, I'm not going to touch that. Yeah. It's very, very, very strange, the dynamic with Roos and Ramsey. Really. You guys have more here? Or should we move on? Uh, just a little piece on Theon. Uh, I think one of you might have already said it, that we're witnessing kind of a slow, I wrote kind of almost a rebirth of Theon Greyjoy, right, from Reek. And you see it slowly. Marcus, you were saying this, that over the chapters, we start to see little bits and pieces. And Skad, you mentioned it too, of Theon breaking through, Theon breaking through. And I almost noticed it where this hit me was when he was breaking up his food so that he could actually chew it. Mm. He mashes it up into softer food, almost like baby food, Uh, right? Almost like food you would feed a baby. And I was like, is this kind of Theon's rebirth chapter? And sure, it's a slow one, but is this the chapter where he starts to be born and he starts to remember, my name is Theon. Like, you know, you're little when you learn your name, right? My name is Theon. Um, And if that baby food it's probably just me is almost symbolic of kind of the rebirth of Theon a little bit. That's it. I love it. And it, it awakened a thought in me too. Um, the title of this chapter, a ghost in Winterfell has always been a little weird for me. Like which, like mm-hmm. he certainly created ghosts uh, with, you know, the, the killings that he did. There are a lot of people, you know, being killed in this chapter. There's just a kind of, mystery sense like a horror film mystery kind of sense for this chapter overall so it works to be ghostly but i wonder if what it's really saying is that by the end of this chapter reek is the ghost because theon has re-emerged and reek is no more yeah i like that a lot that's a that's a really good idea not not one i thought of before but it seems to make a lot of sense yeah, I was like, what? Who? I put this note down. Who is the ghost in Winterfell when it says a ghost in Winterfell? Is it Theon? Is it Jane? Is it those recently killed? Was it the previous residents of Winterfell who were killed? Um, yeah, I like the idea of it being yeah. Reek. Yeah. Sorry, I I had one one quick segue from Matt talking about about the food for Theon, and it was it was um, one of the things I sort of picked up on the reread was the number of times they talk about the food and what people are eating and then they keep mentioning the um that those below the salt eat are eating certain things and those above the salt are eating something else and it's all part of that building tension and resentment within the within the castle and um the the one thing it really really sort of reminded Mm -hmm. me of and gave me a strong feeling of was was that feeling in craster's keep when you had the night watch the night watch there after they'd fled from the fist of the first men and and they were all mm. in in a much shorter time frame that resentment over the the lack of food leading to a, a bloody conflict and, and violence in craster's keep and it it reminds me very much of the feel in the castle at winterfell nice connection man yeah i love that i like that love that connection yeah those those men in the night's watcher uh they've kind of been dealt their tragedy already their fuses mm-hmm. are much shorter but you're right it's the same kind of idea it is and and this applies to the night's watch situation and to this one is that the those below the salt 
they know in any other situation you go to a wedding feast or just anything that's not in freezing cold weather where people are being murdered and stuff you know that the people uh, below the solder are not eating the same things that's right that's just normal and you accept that almost and i think maybe the night's watchman would in their situation would have been like yeah this is craster's house so he's going to eat a little better than us that's just the way it is he we're his guests so anything he gives us is great but when your fuses are already short in both situations that's where like you said the resentment really starts to boil and show through you know we're really cold people are dying our leaders don't seem to be doing anything about it oh and they're eating ham while we're eating peas porridge you know yeah well, it's a little bit, it's a little bit about like the social contract, right? Like, um, for sure, you know, in, in medieval times, you know, the Lord protects his people from certain things, right? Like murder, like the elements, like all sorts of other things. And in so doing, you pay him tribute and he gets better things than you, right? But if he doesn't keep his end of the bargain, well, eventually, you know, the peasants rise up and... The, you know, the system doesn't work and so yeah they're they're noting the poor or fair they're not getting what they think is i i believe a fair bargain uh and so and so yeah that tension is going to rise yeah yep good point marcus love it <laughs> yep. yeah uh i just want to point out real quick that manderley is the best uh hmm. Bruce Bruce was kind of the one with the power and the and just like the manpower uh, but I think every time they mention numbers, there are more Manderleys than anyone else around. Um, hmm. And I think Manderley has more men, more power, they're fresher, uh, and they're better organized. I think he's got he's got them organized with what whatever his plan and game is. I think he's got them marshaled. And he's flexing with his casual nature with the phrase here. He's very casual with his responses. He is trying to incite them he knows he's in a position of strength i think and he's using it yeah i i mean i think um basically the the, the mandalay the mandalays at winterfell are almost like the the suicide squad they, they don't really care about surviving they're there with a with a job to do <laughs> it's, it's 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 um that they're all gray beards aren't they so it's basically basically the guys from the from the from the winter clans that would that would go out at the start of winter and just head off to die. That that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. So I think he's. I mean, you're absolutely right. He's he's just a joy to see him taunting the phrase and you know I, I almost chose when you asked me which chapter I wanted to do. I almost chose chose the later one. The, the sort of the one that follows this, right? Um, the one, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, because I mean the stuff with Mandalay in there is 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 just fantastic. But it, but even here, when he when he sort of says we'll ride out right behind you to the phrase, it's it's just fantastic. You know exactly what he means. Yeah, uh, everybody yep. does. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> everybody does. And the interesting thing is, is he reveals to Davos before this in the in the actually the chapter that we covered with Chase Scad uh, that he's actually got a lot more men that he'd been marshalling to White Harbor. That I, I wish I had the numbers right in front of me, but he doesn't. He definitely doesn't have all the men that he's saying to Davos that he's got. Uh, with him, and, with him now, you mean? 
with him right now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was wondering, we don't know where Robert Glover is right now. And this is just me theorizing for future events, but I wonder if uh, Robert Glover isn't standing by with the rest of the Manderly men somewhere, just kind of waiting for Winterfell's gates to open to join in on the on the bloodshed and carnage of attacking the Freys and House Bolton and everything. I don't know, just something I was thinking about. Yeah, for those that don't remember, Robert was was with Wyman Manderly in White Harbor uh, before before they all left for this event. So. Uh, yeah, definitely a possibility, and we'll get to the hooded man here for the second second set of the chapter two, uh, which mm. I know Robert is a, a candidate for that also. Anyway, so unless is there anything more for this section? We'll move on to get to know Marcus a little bit better. Yeah, I want to talk about Marcus. Yeah, He's way more interesting than this. It's stuff. the best parts of these episodes. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Marcus, strap in, man. Here we go. Get ready to talk about yourself. We'll go easy on you though. Hit me. Uh. <laughs> the first question we ask everybody is who are you man what do you do what what drives you okay so um and this will be difficult i'm probably like like many of your guests i'm uh, not the hugest fan of talking about myself but but let's go so as you've already said i'm over in the uk i'm a middle-aged 45 year old so i think a few years older than you guys um married got a couple of kids that um are you know the the, the life and soul and, and my joy and a and an aged dog so if i have to jump off the off the call at any moment's notice it's because my dog's come downstairs and i'm gonna have to prevent him having an accident in the house he's about 16 now so lose it losing sight oh. and, and and hearing but but still still what kind of dog is he he's um, a staffordshire bull cross so I don't know if you know the Staffordshire Bulls, quite um, uh, sort of quite chunky, compact, strong-looking dog, but he's also crossed, uh-huh. and we think he's crossed with um, Heinz fifty-seven varieties. So he's got a lot of a uh, lot of mongrel in him as well. But he's lovely. A lot of stuff. Yeah, th- those are the best. I, I've had several dogs growing up, and I find that the mutts are always they're always the best personalities. Yeah. That's what I found. I mean, it's one one person's experience, but. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard it. Um, a lot of people say the same. I think, you know, the 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 pedigree dogs are, are beautiful to look at, and and you get some real, some real gorgeous dogs, and and obviously any personality can vary. But but the but the, I I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the 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 more more variety, more flavoursome dogs like like ours. So he's got the saddest eyes in the world, yeah. but you know he's happy and and content when everybody else is around he's 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 one creature that has absolutely loved the pandemic and lockdown because nobody from this house has really gone anywhere marcus that that line you just spouted should be in someone's novel so everyone get your pens out the saddest eyes in the world but you know he's happy (laughs) that's just beautiful man it must be the early morning giving me some some poetry (laughs) All right, go ahead. I interrupt you to ask about your dog. Keep going. Uh, so, um, so I, well, I guess I'm not going to talk too much about work because you know it's work and it's work. I kind of work to live rather than live to work. Um, but I work for Caterpillar over mm-hmm. in the UK. So um, hopefully most of most of the listeners know oh. know who Caterpillar is. So big big element over here. 
other than about uh, 12, 12 to 18 months, I've been part of, let's say, part of the extended Caterpillar family for, for my entire adult working life. So, so it's been, uh, yeah, that's been, that's been good for me um, and I'm really happy there. But it's not exciting work and I'm not going to talk about it as if it is. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, I've obviously, you know, I'm a fan of, fan of Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I'm a I'm a big sort of fantasy fan. I grew up with Star Wars, so you know I'm lucky enough that um, mm. you know I was around for the, the the opening trilogy. I still remember seeing um, Return of the Jedi at the cinema on my eighth birthday uh, with with all my friends and my oh, parents. Nice. Yeah, it was a, it was a great birthday party. So I, I know Return of the Jedi doesn't get wow. a lot doesn't get a lot of love from the from the fandom. It's kind of the the forgotten one of the opening trilogy, but but I still have a very soft spot for, for it me. for that reason. Yeah, it's my second favorite overall. So uh, I love Return of the Jedi. It was the first Star Wars movie I ever saw. I think I've told that on the podcast before. Yeah. So the whole yeah. Darth Vader reveal was completely lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, I think I saw Return of the Jedi before Empire. So I was kind of of that age oh. where Star Wars had been out long enough that it had been on telly. And I was too young mm. to see Empire at the cinema. And then I saw Return of the Jedi at the cinema. And then it was only after that that, that Empire came out on VHS. So so I probably had exactly the same as same as you. I don't really remember. I'm, I'm not sure worrying about Luke's. Luke's parentage was really top of my priority list at the age of eight. Anyway, I think I was more interested in the uh, <laughs> lightsaber true. fights and the space battles. Right, right, right. Did you uh, did you get into the? I know on your Twitter bio it talks about you're into X-wing. Um, did you get into any of the Legends novels and things like that as you grew up? So I read a few. And I mostly had really unsatisfactory experiences with them, but I think I picked the wrong <laughs> novels to read. So, so I, I don't think I ever got, I mean, there's some stuff that people, you know, I've seen the fandom and there's some stuff that people say is really good, but I think I just ended up getting stupid ones where basically they just try and recreate the same, same scenario as, as a new hope. And it's all, you know, yeah. it's just like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not that fussed. Uh -huh. Oh no! You're ta you're actually talking about episode seven. Ooh, there, I wondered if Marcus. you were going to go oh, there. Oh man! <laughs> no, yeah. you guys know I like episode seven. Let's stop. Yeah. Let's stop um, turn this into a sequel. A sequel debate again. <laughs> We've had those. Yeah. Uh, Scad, Scad did that. Uh, his his one and only Legends book he read was the Truce at Bakura, which is not a great one. <laughs> I think I think I think uh, that's the one I read as well. I think I've I've read Truce. Uh, it Bakura. makes it makes sense yeah. as a jumping off point because it's it's timeline it wise it takes right place after right after it's like days yep. or weeks after, and so anyone who Correct. likes the movies and thinks linearly might do exactly that. It's too bad. It's not a good jumping off point. It's kind of like it's listening like to our this... first episode with the fire. I was, I was just about to say that. It's like people that are like, oh, I'm going to listen to this new podcast and start with episode one. No, don't do that with Devil Speakers. I'm sure we'll touch on, on, the, on that point again because 
uh, you know, one of the things you're going to ask me at my at some point in the future is getting into the fandom. So I'll talk about that then. But um, I think okay. the, the first thing I remember really interacting with with you guys on, and I'm sure it was with Matt, was around a shared love of of um, Rogue One on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on record here. That's, that's the best of Star Wars for me. It's, it's number one. I know. Wow. That's that's a controversial statement. I get it though, man. I get it. I think it, it, for me, it struck a chord that I'd been wanting to have struck in the Star Wars universe, and I've talked about this with Scad before, of just, and probably you actually of just wanting to see that side of Star Wars since I started watching Star Wars and finally getting to see it and see it done in such a well-done way was yeah. really satisfying. So, yeah. uh, It's number two for me. I will put it at number two. With Behind Empire? For being on the top. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Clone Wars is my favorite. I just want to know what the everyone Clone has War. against Pod. The Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah, Empire's my favorite still. Yeah. Empire still is number one. But Rogue One's right behind it. Anyways, you have kids, Marcus. You just said that. Uh, a little older than ours, right? Yeah. So um, thirteen and nine. What as we as we approach these? Uh, my kids are creeping up on those teenage years awfully quick. They turn twelve this year. What uh? What do we need to be ready for? <laughs> what do we have to look out for, man? <laughs> oh dear. So Christ, I certainly don't want to um paint myself as as any kind of expert in terms of children and um they're all you know they're all they're all different in their own um lovable and infuriating way but um yeah mm-hmm. my, my experience is so so 13 year old boy and a nine-year-old girl from experience the night the, the age of nine for me is the perfect age for kids because they've oh, got yeah? they've got that beautiful balance of, of gaining a little bit of independence so they can look after themselves they can do things and and actually they can they mm-hmm. can be in I'll, I'll i'll say it in, in inverted commas they can be really helpful so so I, they think they're helping <laughs> at least <laughs> it, it may not always work out that way you want to help make yeah. dinner and yeah. stuff yeah, yeah yeah no i hear you yeah yeah i, hear you. Yeah, I can see yeah. that in my eight-year-old already yeah, and and that's just beautiful. But but also they still like spending time with you, and and they want to do things with you. And and part of their fun and in, enjoyment revolves around the 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 family and and the parents. Whereas like my thirteen year old boy mm-hmm. for for a couple of years now has basically retreated into his bedroom and started playing on the Xbox with his mates. And you know we get to see him either when he needs stuff or when he needs feeding, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you know I'd, I'd take it far more personally if if you know 32 years ago that hadn't been me but it's like you know it's it's one of those things it's, it's yeah it's such, such a horrible realization when you look at how your son behaves and think well that's how i was christ i must have been a little shit oh boy <laughs> <laughs> So that's what we have to look forward to is a lot of self-reflection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 a horrible mirror. No, yeah, no, I, I hear that. Yeah, I yeah. I, that's I'm... very insightful. Uh, 
advice, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Starting to learn to, to let go and not, not really let go, but definitely not take it personal. Look at it from the perspective that, you know, they're becoming their own people, Matt. This is how you were when you were their age. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But it is hard. I hear you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, had, I've yes. made no secret of it on, on this podcast before, but my my elder child, uh, Mary, he he's had some behavioral problems in the past. But I can, I've seen the last year, year and a half, I've seen him really kind of start to mature out of a lot of those. I'm hopeful mm -hmm. that it's not related to the fact that he's COVID and at home always. And so he's just not with <laughs> the other kids to have the problems, mm -hmm. but he's just kind of matured in that way. And so I, I can see what you mean about the nine-year-olds kind of being more independent and being able to kind of do things. And he's, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. So we got to eat it up while we still can. Yeah, enjoy enjoy yeah. these years whilst whilst they still want to spend time with you because <laughs> you, you 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 soon realize that you're not the center of their universe when it happens. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> so uh, so tell you you commented that you're uh, you've been doing some running. I'm. Uh, I gave up on my my days of athletics long ago. Matt's still Matt's still trying on occasion. I think with the hockey. Eh, on occasion. Tell us about running. Right. So so again, but by no stretch am I a good runner, but but I am a a persistent runner. So um, when I turned <laughs> when I turned forty, so about five years ago. Um, my wife organized a surprise party for me, which was, you know, it's one of the best days I can remember because I had friends turning up from all over the UK that I'd not seen for a few years. And it was, it was fabulous. But, but later on in the oh, afternoon, cool. after um, a number of beers and, and as much barbecue food as we could fit into us, I was sort of sat around with some of my, my best friends. And I was like, you had, had that sort of epiphany moment of going, Christ, I'm unfit. I was like, um, I'll get, I'll, well, so I'm, I'm about five foot eight in, in UK terms. You guys don't do feet and inches, do you? So 173 mm -hmm. centimeters. Oh, we do. Yeah, we do. Oh, you, do you do feet and inches. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's good to we know. We got feet and inches. Don't worry. Don't Excellent. worry. We got you, man. I don't Perfect. even know how much a centimeter is. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, and I was like nearly, nearly 15 stone. So do you guys do stone That's or you the one all we pound? Do. Okay, so yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> pounds, I, I, d yeah. I don't blame you for not doing it. I, I did, I did scribble down some some numbers here just in case it, it didn't make sense. About two hundred pounds. Okay. So, I was like, for me, that was that was as heavy as I've ever been, and and I was really feeling it. And so we just sort of sat around, and a couple of friends just started running. So so they were like, well, why don't you why don't you get into it? And I was like, well, I've not done exercise for thirty years. I was never a good runner anyway. Blah 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 blah. And then, you know, long story short on that, I did, I don't know if you've heard of it, and I don't know if, if you have it over there, Couch to 5K, um, which is over over in the UK. It's it. Yeah, it's kind of a big, like a sort of an app, basically. So you just listen to somebody talking you through running, and they take you from, like, I can't even remember exactly how it goes, but let's say, run for a minute, walk for two minutes, run for a minute, walk for two minutes, kind of pace to begin with, oh, to buy... buy okay 
week nine you're running for 30 minutes and you should theoretically be able to to run 5k so so i did all of that and then just kept going so so now i run a lot um and i'm find i'm finding that the more i run uh funnily enough the the faster i get um turns out that if you practice at something you can improve at it who who knew um, well, even an old man like you, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt and I don't talking, know what that's I mean, like. Got... We feel like, oh my, it was just a joke. I was going to say, Matt and I don't know what that's like. We've been practicing for 110 episodes, and it still feels the same. <laughs> In fact, uh, we're getting slower. Our episodes are getting longer. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> oh, dear. You, you do yourselves a disservice. You guys are very good at this. It's a, it's, it's a joy to listen to. Well, you said you're at 15 stone. Have you have you noticed a difference in how you feel physically? And oh yeah, yeah. So so I mean, I'm I'm down a lot from there now. Um, fortunately, now, yeah. But but the the funny thing is, so so I shifted a bit of weight, and I certainly improved fitness with running. Um, but it's actually it's it's not a good way of losing any weight, as it turns out. After I'd been doing it for about three or four years, I was like. <laughs> Well, I've kind of plateaued and, and not got any better for a while. What's going on? And so I did a bit of research into it, and it turns out it's not the best for for, for weight loss. So actually, I started started doing um, like cardio classes at the local gym just be, just before lock just oh, before cool. we went into pandemic and lockdown. So so pandemic and lockdown were mm-hmm. actually even better for me for that because everything shifted to online classes, and then and then being at home sort of all day found I was able to do a lot. So, so over, over the last, uh, what, 15 months, I've probably shifted about, well, nearly two stones, 20, 20, 22 pounds. So it's been good for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I've, I've come out of lockdown. Well, I've come out of lockdown and hopefully soon to soon to be the end of the pandemic fitter and healthier than I was, which I, I realize is, hasn't been the same case for everybody. A lot of people have been, you know, struggling and, and comfort eating and eating more because they've been in the house. But but I've kind of been able to cope with it in a different way. Yeah, my hand is raised as one of those people. I was so, uh, sorry, I didn't hear what you said. That's... I was reaching for a donut. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a big thing of buttery, salty popcorn sitting right next to me. I go on mute and take a bite every bit while you guys are talking. Um that's fantastic, man. That's inspirational. That that seriously makes me go, man. What have I been doing the last twelve months? Me too, like, exactly. Come on, Matt. Let's go. That that's really cool. Congratulations, man. We're gonna sneak in a quick Ice and Fire, uh, Song of Ice and Fire question here. Who is your favorite minor character in a Song of Ice and Fire, Marcus? Okay, so so this one, I'll, I'll probably give about six different answers, but you know, bear with me on it. So. The Duncan Egg, Egg novellas are probably, I, I would say I enjoy reading Duncan Egg more than I enjoy reading A Song of Ice and Fire. I think there's something joyful mm. in the way that they're written. Um, they are great fun. So, I mean, I, I would say Dunk, but I don't think, because he's the lead of, of the Duncan Egg novellas, I don't think he can class as a, as a minor character. Um, but there's there's two or three in there that are mm. are... I, I guess I think you could call them minor characters. So 
but Bale or Breakspear is 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 probably my favourite, and I was yeah. I was standing for him massively in in a, a song of madness, but unfortunately he uh, <laughs> he he got beaten by Egg, uh, who got beaten by Dunk. So you know I, I can kind of see why why they fell, but he he's a, a fabulous character. You, know, you think this is. is what all the Targaryens should be like? You know, just noble, wise, standing up for the for the weak. Really well written. Shame, shame he had to um, come to a tragic end. Um, as as well as as well as as Bale or Breakspear, Glendon Ball's fantastic. The Knight of Pussy Willows is is oh. a, is, a, is a great character. Um, and and yeah. Rohan Webber is uh, is is just hubba hubba. She is fantastic. <laughs> she's great. Yes. Yeah. I love. I have, is, I have a real soft spot for Glendon Ball. Yeah, yeah. Soft spot for Glendon and a hard spot for Rohan. Well, let's just say my dick wouldn't go in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be breaking any teeth Mine, for Rohan. unfortunately, probably still would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good answers, good answers. Uh yeah, I love you bringing in the the Duncan Egg. I I love him for the same reason. Um, we used to say that we I'd read Duncan Egg during our uh, summer breaks that we'd take from doing the podcast because it was just such a nice palate cleanser. There's kind of a whimsy to it almost that was really refreshing for me. Yeah, and yet when we covered them, the depth is still so there. Sure, right? Yeah, like it, totally. Like, because I, I mm-hmm. I've said that too. It's just it's lighter, it's easier fare, and when I'm recommending it, I still say that to people. But also, like when you look, there's so much there. There's plenty. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Love those, making me want to read them again. Ah, timely pandemic question, Matt. Yeah, um, you might have already touched on this. You talked about your kids kind of being your light and everything, but uh, you know, during this time of pandemic, what what do you find that brings you some sunshine? Yeah, so I mean, f- family and having family around's been great. Although, um, mm-hmm. there's one thing I I genuinely, genuinely hope I never have to do again in my entire life, and that is homeschooling. I mean, how people yeah. how people manage <laughs> that and opt to do that as a as a life choice, I have no clue because it was the most frustrating and and energy sapping and joy draining thing i've ever done um so you're so poetic marcus <laughs> <laughs> you're so eloquent man you need to uh, be on a podcast more regularly uh, i was gonna say who's hard who was harder in terms of homeschooling 13 year old or nine year old they, they each had their own challenges but the nine year old was harder the, the the main reason being the thirteen year old is is effectively doing independent learning. He's at high school, so so actually, oh, okay. we didn't have mm-hmm. to teach him. He was supposed to do it all himself, and then just the way it worked, he was completely disengaged with it all and, ba- and really didn't do very much. But but we had to take time out <laughs> of our working day, so we're all working at home, and you got to take time out of your working day to sit with the nine year old because she can't learn independently. She has to have someone sit with sit with her while she's doing it and it was just you know running running arguments for the entire day um i think we know i think we know exactly what you're talking about (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, it was I... hard for uh, for for me for me sure. I don't know. Yeah. Did you did you guys have homeschool as well? Yeah, my, um, my wife's a teacher, so um, so she had to do her teaching from home to her kids that were learning from home, high school dance mostly. Um, so yeah. she couldn't do all the homeschooling. I have my job; it's uh, software related. Um, I'm working from home, so I couldn't do it full time either. So we kind of tried to just switch off, and each of us educated them as best as we could, like trading off days and afternoons and mornings and things like that. It was a mess. I mean, I, I basically worked. My company was very generous. They basically just said, "Okay, I don't know. I consider it to be generous." They basically said, "You've got a lot of vacation. You use, you know, you can use it, you know, doing doing this half day stuff as it makes sense and fill in extra hours when you can get them and." You know, we'll let you slide on some of it, and they, they were they were pretty good about it, but it was stressful. Yeah, just like you said. I mean, you're trying you're trying to manage, you got work on the brain. You're trying to get all that stuff done. You got your kids who you absolutely, you know, want the best for. It was it was hard. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tough. <laughs> Thankfully, we had our company CEO came over and said he did a kind of a big. Uh, like online Zoom meeting with the whole company and basically said, take care of your families first. Just if you got to help kids with homework, help kids with homework, like just do it. And so that was really encouraging. But uh, for me, what helped lessen the stress load was realizing that because you, you almost would kind of butt heads with teachers. You're like, I don't understand what your teacher is trying to teach you. And da, da, da. what do you expect from the kids? And you'd go back and forth with emails and everything. And then I realized they have no idea what they're doing either yeah. right now. Totally. They're they're <laughs> they're scrambling just as much as you are, and they're trying their best just like you are, and they're still invested in your kids even though they don't can't teach them. And that's really frustrating to them as teachers that they can't do that um, because they do have such investment in your kids, and uh, that helped me relax a little bit and just go, you know what, we're in this together. Let's just get through this, and we'll be all right. But yeah, it was yeah, I feel you, man. Yeah. <sighs> we'll laugh about this these times someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, lighter notes. Throw out a recommendation, Marcus. Anything you want, a book, a movie, a TV show, what something something you think people maybe What's might something not we know, should or, check out or yeah. that, that uh, you should remind them to have a rewatch of. Okay. So I I mean I don't know that I'm going to give anything that you've you've not already heard of, but um uh, mu- musically there's a there's a there's a great new band that I'm really into at the moment called uh, Queen. I don't know if you've heard of them. Scat has them. Was was singing singing it earlier today. Yeah, I'm uh I'm uh not up to date in terms of music. I think I stopped listening to to popular music in about 1999, or say current music, modern music in 1999. Um. So I only really listened to sort of old classic mm-hmm. stuff, and and a few years ago I went on a on a rediscovery of, of Queen and listening to all the stuff that I'd never never properly listened to. That was fantastic. So 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 I'd recommend yeah. those, um, and then a couple of TV shows on Netflix that that again helped me get through um, sort of pandemic times and, and and other things that have happened in the last couple of years. Um, last Kingdom, which is a sort of Ooh, Vi- yeah. uh, Vikings, Saxons, England kind of thing. Um, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's it's 
how could I describe it? It's it's like a Game of Thrones, but good. If <laughs> the, the TV series. Um, so I mean, and I I read all the, I read all the books to do with the Last Kingdom after the TV show came out, and the books are not a patch on a Song of Ice oh. and Fire. There's there's just no comparison. But the TV series is really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one I'd, I'd I'd throw a recommendation out for is is um, Sex Education, which I don't know if you've heard of. Yeah, I think B Word recommends that too. It's it. Yeah, I thought you'd watched it. Scott. No, I haven't watched no? it. No. Okay. Yeah, she did too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It is. It is well worth. Like oh, so I mean, it's funny. It's sort of it. It. Mm-hmm. it and it's heartwarming, and it's um, it's tragic. It's got all sorts of stuff in there that you know you 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 love the characters, you hate the characters. You're seeing how they go, but everybody in there's got a a story. Every every single person that they have on on screen has got something that you'll that you'll find about them and engage with them. And some of the characters are are just wonderful as you get to see them them grow and develop over over the well, it's two seasons I think so far. Yeah, two seasons so far. Um, mm. I mean the, the the cast is great. Asa Butterfield is is really good. Um, Gillian Anderson's in it. She's she's excellent, as she is in pretty much everything yeah. I've ever seen. So I, I I definitely recommend giving it a go. Probably probably not with the kids. It's not one for them. Um, <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah. Noted. Yeah. All right. Good recommendations. So, yeah. So Sex Education, Last Kingdom. I heartily recommend that one as well. And uh, Queen. Any. Well, What's your favorite? What's your favorite Queen album? Do you have a favorite? Oh, uh, I mean that changes. Any anything between um, Queen Two, Sheer Heart Attack, and, and Night at the Opera. Any of those. Any of those three are fantastic, and I'll I'll switch between those any day of the week. But um, I mean they they came out in about eighteen months. Those three albums. It's just ridiculous. I mean how can how can a band be that right. productive? Yeah. Yeah. Just especially prolific. with what yeah. they were dealing with. <laughs> anyway, uh, my favorite my favorite Queen song is "It's Late," which gets no radio play, oh, yeah. and no love from it's anyone. A deep cut, yeah. It's a deep yeah, it's, cut. Oh, that yeah, it's a beautiful song. Yeah, one of my favorite musical exercises is to take a band from, and I just get their whole discography and listen first album to last album, and it's just fun to track the growth that you can hear in the lyrics and the music. And Queen's definitely one of those where you can feel that it's awesome yeah yeah it's it's worth doing as, as long as you miss out hot space it's it's a fine that's a fine journey to take <laughs> <laughs> just that's the rocky five of queen yeah 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 just pretend it didn't happen all right why did you choose this chapter marcus what do you love about it so i mean truth time I, if 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 i'd have been um the first name thrown out of the randomizer, I would have gone with the North Remembers chapter, which is, you know, it, mm. I mean, it's truly epic and it's got Mandley's in there being fantastic. Um, but but it's already been covered and it's been covered better than I would have done it. So I'm really glad that that's already happened. So so the reason... Shout out to Chase. Yeah, yep. yeah. did a great job on it. Um, and then, so the reason I've gone for this one is, you know, I, I I sort of love 
the feel, the atmosphere, it's it's gritty and grimy and scary and tense. It touches on mm. um, Grand Northern Conspiracy, which which is, and I'll talk, I'm, I'm not really a theories guy, but I do like reading when other people have come up with good theories, and, and that is really well thought out as a, <laughs> as a theory. So, so very, very happy with that. The Hooded Man mystery, which... I'm absolutely convinced that I'm not going to cast any light on, but um, is a is a great <laughs> mystery and and one I do like to uh, speculate about and talk about. Um, so yeah, there was there was all sorts of stuff in there about um, you know the tension between Mandalays and Freys, and you you get you get to link into the other chapters that have got even better um, tension and 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 uh, conflict around that. We also get Barbary Dustin in there a little bit, although, again, that the previous chapter had a lot more Barbary in it, but she's, I find her fascinating and really interesting. So, lots of bits in there that I, that I like, and it touches on all of the stuff that you know, the stuff that happens in the north is the bit that I'm most interested in in the in the whole series. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> yeah, I, it's it's shocking how often I find myself remembering like oh yeah the others are up there (laughs) (laughs) like remember like that's like probably the whole point yeah anyway yeah all right yep let's dive into summary part two the great hall is a smelly mess smells of feces and dog and horse it's bad guys however the collapsed stable was a shortcut to mushrooms or delicious dinner a shortcut to delicious dinner as finally everyone ate the same fare. Theon can't eat the meat, though, as his teeth are ruined. Music's good, though. Bale, <coughs> um, Abel is playing all sorts of good stuff with people joining in on the singing. Theon left the hall after some torment by Ramsay's boys walking the yard. Before long, he came upon a hooded man striding towards him. Theon Turncloak. Theon Kinslayer. I'm not. I, I never... I was ironborn. False is all you were. How is it you still breathe? The gods are not done with me. Lord Ramsay's not done with me. Theon thought this was the killer, but he didn't fear him. And the man trudged on. Theon climbs the battlements again, but he could see nothing at all as he looked out. It was oppressive. Only Winterfell existed for Theon. The ghosts that were here before and with it. The ghosts that he had made himself. The miller's wife and her sons, the residents of Winterfell he had murdered. He returned to his chambers, hoping to sleep, but was summoned for a meeting with the lords. Mm -hmm. In short, Roos and the other lords wondered if Theon could be the killer of the men in the yard. They debate whether he is physically capable, inspecting his hands, not that he wants to show them, interrogating him, (laughs) wondering if he's strong enough to do the killings. But it's Roos that calls it. Strength aside, he does not have it in him to betray my son. Yeah, the Freys think it might be Manderley's agents, but the others say, you know, it really could be anybody. Lots of people have a grudge from the Red Wedding. The North remembers Frey, Barbary says. Roos stops the bickering and dismisses Theon, but Theon doesn't go to sleep. He walks the walls some more until he hears the horn. The horn. Yeah, but as it diminished, also a drum, a repeating drum. Boom, doom, boom. Drums. 
drums in the deep snow. Stannis was the name on everyone's lips. It must be Stannis, right? Theon's terrified. Ironic of it, that he might be delivered from his torture and terror is what he feels. It must be Stannis, though, outside the rule, outside the walls. That's the consensus. They can't see him, but he must be just there outside the line of sight. Some want to let him freeze out there. Some want to charge out and meet him. Theon thinks it's a bad idea, but one that Roos might seize upon. He needs an end to the ill feeling, the disquiet, the mistrust, the anger in Winterfell. Yeah, so Theon went to the Godswoods, and we don't really know why. But it was peaceful, and he was alone. He could hear the drumming as he knelt, but the tree seemed to whisper his name. Theon. He asked to just die honorably as Theon. Instead, the tree whispers back, Bran. Apparently, this is one of those destiny-controlling trees. The trees knew of his crime, or so Theon thinks. They were judging him, saying the name Bran. The tree took Bran's face shape, it seemed. But he had never wanted to harm Bran. Theon tries to justify his experience. He had to have two heads, the two young boys' bodies. But the only one to answer isn't the tree, but... But Abel's washerwomen. Who are you talking to, they chirp. Of course Theon can't answer that honestly. The ghosts, they know my name. They pester him about what what Theon said, about needing two heads, two bodies. They torment him. They could never understand, but what did they want? They wanted him to kill him like they did the others? No, they may have done for the others, but they promise him reprieve from all the pain and torture. That they can deliver him, but not until he is sung for Abel. Boom, boom, boom. So, sung what? Mm -hmm. Can we start with that? What do they want him to sing to Abel? Uh, Theon thinks it's a way in or out of Winterfell, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's what he said earlier in the chapter. Mm-hmm. We also... Um, it has, Go ahead. It has something to do with the crypts. Yeah, they want to know the crypts, well, and they want, to, they want Theon's help. They want him to help with their plan. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if... if uh, so we don't ever get to see this meeting, right? They take him to Abel. They talk, supposedly. And then they, the next thing we see in, in Theon 1 is that they have a plan. And <clears throat> I wonder if it just, the conversation didn't go as well as Abel thought. You know, what? like when you go into something, you're like, oh, this, this is how it's all going to work. I'm sure that I'll go have this conversation. I'll get these pieces of information. Everything will fall in line. It'll be fine. Well, probably when Theon admitted like, well, you know, I only got into Winterfell because it was nighttime and there were 50 people total here. And nobody defending the walls, and I had expert climbers. None of those cases are the case here. (laughs) Oh, crap. (laughs) So they're like, oh, okay. And so they turned the paper over and started drawing out a new plan, Um, you know, with the the bath and, you know, all of that stuff, I wonder. Because it really isn't, as you said before, Marcus, it isn't a great plan, right? It's like, well, the keep's locked up. We're going to jump from the wall and... uh, I guess that'll be it. Yeah, jump jump from a wall and run away into a snowstorm and hope that we'll find some people doesn't seem to be um, the most thought out plan they've ever had. 
Yeah, for all the time that they spend there. Um, you know, two thoughts with the Crips is one where they may be thinking they could hide there yeah. uh, until, you know, the battle happens. And then while everyone else out is, while everyone else is out fighting, they could emerge from the Crips and kind of sneak away, much like, much like Brandon and his crew did. Um, but uh, then, then you wonder if there's more going on. We could get into theories. I don't know if we want to hear about if Mance knows there's something down in the crypts that he needs. Uh, I don't know. I do think it's weird, and I think I pointed this out in in our Theon episode clear back when we covered it on Davos Fingers Scad. Of you know, they're pulling off the rescue, the thing that everybody. The, the whole reason Mance went there was to pull off this rescue of Jane and they're in the middle of doing it and Mance isn't there, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Where's Mance? There's only the six washerwomen. Why isn't Mance participating in this? Maybe it was because he couldn't. He's able. He's a singer. Why would he be with the washerwoman taking a bath to Jane? But uh, I do think it's weird that he's not present and I wonder if he was doing something down in the crypts if you know if there's more to that theory or if he was like i said just trying to hide thinking of a place to hide out i don't know just in in one sentence what what do you think he's looking for in the crypts well if uh this you'd have to you'd have to go with the mance Rhaegar theory and think that there's Perfect. something about Lyanna down there okay. something about john's heritage uh, that he's going for you know the whole bale the bard legend talks about uh, the you know the blue winter rose that Bale finds um, stealing her away or taking her away. They never found Bale, but uh, they'd actually never left Winterfell. They'd stayed hidden in the crypts the whole time. Right. Which you know what that may have been where Abel got the inspiration to hide in the crypts was from that legend. It was a wildling legend uh, that Egret had told Jon Snow. And so now that I think about it, he might have just gotten the idea from Bale the Bard to hide out in the crypts. Um, it might not have to do with some deeper theorizing. But Did, did correct me if I'm, if, 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 you, if you know more, did, is, there, is there thought out there in the fandom about Barbary... Dustin at all being in cahoots with with Abel because in the previous chapters she makes Theon go down to the crypts and they have to they spend like a half an hour like removing rubble right from the doors of the crypts so that they can even get down there um, and maybe she did that just to clear the way so that Abel could Mance could get down there yeah maybe I think uh I know you really like this theory, Marcus, so you could chime in. I think what the GNC posits is that um, she wanted to go down there to verify the missing swords, which would verify that the story that Manderley had revealed to her and the other conspirators, that or the Northern Lords, that Bran and Rickon were potentially still alive or had survived the sack of Winterfell. Um, yeah. And so she was just going down to verify that, but maybe... Yeah, you've you've hit the head, ahead, hit the nail on the head there, Matt. That's that that's pretty much what the the GNC talks about is is that she's she's verifying facts so that so that either the rest of the lords can can agree and 
side with Mandalay or so that so that she can help prove prove to others that that's correct. I haven't seen anything that um, says that that um, Mance is looking for anything in the crypts online, but that doesn't mean the theory doesn't exist. There are there are a lot out there, so it could be talked about by someone. Yeah. I mean, a good thing she did it then. Had had yeah. Abel had Mance Bale gone to the crypts and found that covered and not been able to get in, that would have been a problem. <laughs> that would have sucked, cleared the way. The only connection that I can think of, maybe I missed one, is a very distant potential connection, is that if we're thinking that, you know, Barbary used to be a Riswell, so we think that they might be part of these potential conspirators who will side with Manderley. And it was a Riswell man that one of the washerwomen was found cavorting with outside right mm. <laughs> whispering sweet nothings in his ear yeah. and everything yeah. um i think it was a Ris it was one of the like wasn't it Rod Riswell brothers yeah like one of the r's it was roger Riswell, i think ah yes so i mean there's a potential connection there between mm. mance's party him and his him and his uh, washerwomen uh, and these northern lords but that's the only one that i can really think of and remember of them potentially communicating something to each other maybe no cahoots then but that could just be how mance found got the information from the crypts maybe she winkled it from the rise well even though there was no planning or you know you know working together just she got that information mm -hmm. from that that wrist well would be interesting so is, yeah. so is that where we think he's he's gonna go I mean, there, there's there's theories that there are tunnels or caves that connect the crypt of Winterfell out into the the world at large. That, that Mance maybe could could escape through there, and that uh, one one of the washerwomen is it Rowan maybe says, "Don't worry about Mance. He can he can figure himself out." She right. seems very confident in that. So yeah, I just don't understand what's happening though then because they're obviously still going to try to escape over the wall but what's mance doing well right didn't now? he get summoned up to play so yeah still, so that's why he wasn't there he's like oh i gotta play ladies you're gonna have to pull this one off right. i'll get out another way don't worry i'll take care of myself hence rowan's statement yeah i mean it was gonna be the ladies doing the getting getting jane out of the room anyway but I think Mance right. was supposed to meet them, like in the you know in the courtyard or whatever, and wasn't there because he was mm -hmm. busy playing. But... Yeah, I see. Mm -hmm. It seems it seems like the uh, plan unraveled fairly quickly with Mance not being able to join yeah. them, and then and then other things happening. Different people with different equipment. I, I forget which the names of the different washerwomen, but. The, the one who had the rope to get off the wall Freya wasn't the there. Rope. She was, yeah. yeah, she was fighting. Yeah. So, so it, it didn't really like, go oh, well. Crap. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've we've all we've all oh. we've all done it. It's it's like uh, it's like getting to the shops without a face mask these days in the pandemic, isn't it? It's such a simple thing to remember. And <laughs> I only need one thing. Well, I know planning my D and D sessions. Uh, I think I've got it all planned out, and then like one of them just does a simple thing. I'm like, damn it! And, like my whole game is unraveled, and I gotta come on my heels. For you D and D mm. nerds out there, I got gotcha. you. Should we talk about the hooded man? Oh yeah, 
Yeah. You know, the Hooded Man is funny to me. Just, I always forget how little that whole part is yeah. in the whole chapter yeah. because there's like just theories and theories about this, and it's like two paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all those theories are, you know, diving deep into the characters themselves and what they were doing and would they have time to get there and motive and, and all those things. So, yeah, it's all, it's all about the circumstances around the people, not the moments of this happening. Because you really don't learn much. I mean, you, you learn, I guess. This person knows him, right? Has seen him enough times that even in his state, they recognize him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know him and hate him. That you call him the unturned cloak. They think he's not a good guy. Um, you know, we know it's a man. I don't know. We we don't know a whole lot else, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know it's it's some. You covered yeah, it. It's somebody who recognizes Theon, but there's no comments that theon recognizes this person and that's yeah that's why i mean and it's it's ten tenuous but for me that's that's one of the reasons i'm i'm not a big fan of any of the theories i've seen about who the hooded man is because i i sort of think these are all people theon would know uh, so you know sure you know, I've, I've i i haven't seen anything that gives me a name that i think that's the person the hooded man is yet but i think it's endlessly fascinating to keep speculating yeah 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 i'm i'm pretty settled on the harwin theory but your point is well taken that it does mention that their eyes met now he was hooded and so theon maybe didn't see all of his facial features so you can maybe forgive the lack of recognition there um and when you're not looking for somebody sometimes you're you know, that lack of expectation can lead you to not recognizing someone. In fact, I went back and listened to our previous coverage of this chapter, Scad, and we talk about that quite a bit of how if you're not expecting to see somebody, maybe you don't recognize them immediately upon seeing them. Um, but uh, we actually talked about it for quite a long time, longer than we needed to, I think. We do that. Let's huh. do it again. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. But, but anyways... Um, just for lack of not having anyone better, I like the theory of it being Harwin. Uh, I think it's Radio Westeros that does a really good job of putting together this theory that, you know, if Lady Stoneheart had heard that Arya might be alive in the north, she might have dispatched someone to verify. It's her own daughter, I mean. Uh, and it makes sense for her to dispatch Harwin, who we knew was with the Brotherhood Without Banners. He would recognize Arya. He's really the last Northerner to have seen her. Um, and so it could definitely be him. And if he knew of everything that had gone on, he'd certainly uh, hate Theon and have that kind of malice towards him. Uh, there's no real expectation for anyone to recognize him if he does become dehooded. Um, he was, I think, lowly enough in the Starks' household that... You know, some rando Bolton or even Roose Bolton wouldn't recognize who he was. Um, yeah, and like I said, he's the last one to have seen Arya in close quarters. So I'm going with Harwin, but there's definitely, it's nothing conclusive. Yeah, we. I mean, there are, there are oodles of episodes out there from other people that do it better than us, uh, you know, second-guessing all this. But Hallis Mullen is another option. Basically, I mean, a lot of same the same reasons uh, for Harwin, not not exactly the same, but he was sent north with Ned's bones. 
uh, at some point, and we haven't seen him since. Uh, I think he's maybe a little bit higher in the house than Harwin is, maybe, so he might be more recognizable to Theon. I don't know. Um, but uh, he's the guy that's always like stating the obvious uh, to Cat, to probably why she sends him away. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, so there's Hallis Mullen, same kind of thing as, as Harwin. Robert is a candidate, but I would think that Theon would recognize Robert probably. Um, the Theon, the Theon himself, you know, the uh, Theon Durden theory, they call it. Um, you know, they kind of play into the Ghost in Winterfell uh, title when they talk about right. that theory, that it's, you know, just Theon kind of being crazy. I love the idea just because I think it fits the tone of this chapter. Of it's, it's it is kind of horror movie it's 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 very much playing on the psyche of the people there with the murders happening and and everything and so i like it but it doesn't feel like it fits this story the the overall story right it's it's kind of out of this genre to me i haven't seen the um the on durden theory is that a a tyler durden reference yes yes right Okay. Yeah, that it's it's one one guy, two two halves of the one of one guy, basically, right? Okay. But, and and mm. you know, if if the washerwomen didn't uh, didn't come forward and and admit to the killings, and he were somehow also responsible for the killings, that would be interesting. But since they right, like he's doing it when he's not aware or whatever, uh, and that would add an interesting layer. But since they confessed to doing it themselves, that kind of takes that away. Yeah. Right. Has um, is there anything? Because we know that um, Mance is under some sort of glamour, don't we? As uh, as Abel. Yeah. Has Has yes. there been any theories about whether it's it's actually Mance, but not under a glamour, wandering the walls? Because the language he uses to talk to Theon would be very similar to how the washerwomen talk to him. That's true. Very menacing and condescending yeah yeah but but the but the words he says how do you still live uh that would imply yeah it would imply that they're surprised to see him wouldn't it but it could be it could it could just be some sort of psychological warfare to try and you know unnerve him a little bit more yeah to get him it could be it could be yeah It, it also might imply i thought i told my girls to kill you (laughs) Uh, what are you still doing here but squirrel (laughs) frenya what are their names as i say i mean i wouldn't put too much credence in that it was only something i threw out and i'm not a i'm I'm, i don't have the um, the brain power to to build up a theory with all the bits and pieces that go into it there's there's a lot of talented people out there who do who do all the heavy lifting on that so it's it's easier for me just to sit on the sideline and say oh i just don't agree with that <laughs> it's easier for all of us yep uh, i love that all right i love that role anything else on hooded man then no just i think it's interesting i i also think it's interesting that um and maybe this lends some credence to the theon durden theory is that he's not embarrassed or scared at all to show off his maimed hand to this guy. But later on in the chapter, 
he's very embarrassed uh, about showing it oh, to yeah. the lords. And uh, I don't know if there's anything there, but um, I, I noticed that contrast and how interesting that was. He whipped his glove right off. He offered it. He's like, here, look at my hand. See? Yeah. Still alive. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Mm. I didn't think about that. He also, in favor of it, like, he, he also, with, with the other murders that have happened, um, you know, it keeps giving these hints. A club more like uh, another drunk. He he knows, he, he seems to feel like he really knows the circumstances of how these people died. Um, you know, I think a lot of people could guess, I suppose. But it might put him more, if there was a Theon Durden running around, maybe he just does, he did see them. He just doesn't know he saw them because he wasn't reek at the time or something hmm mm-hmm. but hmm man we're getting in some weird places weird places here. let's move on a- yeah. anything else on the hood of hood man before we before we get before we do i don't think so all right <laughs> uh hmm. just so just just a just a quick one for me because i don't think it needs a a great deal of of, of of insight well it doesn't offer a great deal of insight but they bring the horses into the mm. great hall and the the state of that great hall, and I'm just thinking about how at one point everybody was relatively comfortable. It was warm, it was cozy, there was plenty of food, and now they've got the animals in there. Mm-hmm. It's got a smell. It's uncomfortable. It's noisy. It's all mm-hmm. all part of this. You know, the 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 situation is daily getting worse for everybody in the castle. Ratchet it up. Yep. Get that tension. Oh, add yeah. add more powder to that keg. Yeah. Bring the torch a little closer. Do you think maybe the washerwomen collapsed the stables on purpose and it wasn't the snow? Oh, definitely. To add to that? Absolutely. Yeah. Without without question, I think that's um, sabotage. Hmm. Feels that way. I mean, it 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 kind of works thematically either either way. It it works thematically for the snow to almost like the wall defending itself winterfell defending itself right kind of <laughs> the snow yeah, kind of like these people are not uh-huh. welcome here i'm going to make it uncomfortable for them uh the, the right. throne cutting cutting the people that sit on it the, that those kind of themes um so it fits if it's not but i i agree with marcus i, I think probably yeah yeah I, mm. I mean i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest i i'd never even not considered it to be the case <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. when you asked the question, I was like, "Oh, that that's interesting." Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, it, you know, there's 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 absolutely no reason why I'm right, but 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 it 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 just felt so obvious to me with particularly with the, with the fact that everybody goes to to dig it out and then they find the body of of Yellow Dick. I, I almost feel like it was a signpost. Here, here's another death. Right. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I yeah. In 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 the uh Asha chapter, yeah, I read the Asha chapter as well. Uh where um everyone's freezing as well and starving and, and everything. Um you know, they're talking about eating horses and and in one of those chapters the people are so hungry they start eating people. Uh mm-hmm. and it occurs to me that I think it's I think it's the washerwomen too, but it could be anybody looking for horse meat. I mean, these people like right like 
I'm hungry. Good Let's point. kill some horses. Right? <laughs> yeah. But it, but I'm still with the washerwoman. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about the washerwomen, I have another thing to attribute to them that I hadn't attributed before. Uh, I wonder, and you guys are going to be like, well, that's obvious, Matt. We thought that too. Or maybe not. Um, I wonder if it was the uh, at least a couple of the washerwomen who were banging the drum and playing the horn. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, I'll tell you why I don't think so, but but my my reasoning, I guess, doesn't really stand up. I, they're having trouble thinking about an escape from Winterfell, and I guess they're probably worried about Jane and, and the numbers involved and all of them doing it at once. But I don't think mm-hmm. getting out of Winterfell is super easy. Right. But but I mean, Squirrel is saying she's going to do it, so like all by herself down the side of the tower. Uh, so certainly some of them have climbing abilities to, you know, to succeed. So I don't, I'd say it isn't out of the realm of possibility, but we also do know, and well, we hear that, oh geez, I forget which one it is. One of the umbers is out there doing this. Yeah. With his... It's Moore's, Moore's umber, isn't it? Out, out right. the, outside yeah. the walls. Right. Moore's is out there with his green boys. So it totally could have been him. I just thought it fit with what the washerwomen were doing in terms of trying to make everyone uncomfortable and, uh, you know, cause those issues. They said they heard the sound outside of the hunter's gate, which the hunter's gate was the gate that they've commented on. And George goes to great lengths to describe all of the gates in this chapter um, and their state. And the hunter's gate is the only one that's not iced over and recently used. They send scouts to and from. And so whether, you know, squirrel hopped the wall or they snuck out when the gate was open so I don't know. That that's that's a yeah. that's an interesting comment, and I'm and I'm glad you've picked up on the uh, the gates and and the scouts. I think they're they're doing more sending mm-hmm. scouts too, uh, rather than, than 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 returning. They seem to be going out. I think there's a there's a comment in there that the of late the scouts go out but they don't return. So they have been using it, and, and people yeah. are going out. I, I tend to think, um, like Scad mentioned, I think it's the umbers. And I think the um, we we know yeah. that they've set like an an ambush. They've dug the walls, and is it Anus Anus Frey falls into it, or one one of the Freys falls into right. it and dies at some point. Um, I think both of them do, yeah. and one dies, and yeah, one yeah, it could be right. And then um, so I think it's all part of that psycho psychology to try and entice the the garrison out into the ambush. But 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 yeah, right. But yep. but it is interesting though, Matt. Like you said, how they how it works together so well with what the washerwomen are trying to do, to put that sense of dread and and despair into the castle, right, and, mm-hmm. and chaos. So it, it 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 does feel almost like okay, well maybe maybe they did send somebody out to talk to the Umbers, right? Or maybe. like, hey, this would really help out if you could do this. We're all on the same side here. I mean, like it's even possible that that Moore's Umber knows about Mansa's plan through Stannis, right? Like, it's, they're, you know, they're kind of yeah, on the same team, so. Yeah, there's six washerwomen, and three are with Theon in the Godswood, and he's still hearing the drums playing, so not all the washerwomen are with him. Yeah. You know, they could be anywhere in the castle, right. but, you know, yeah. 
Interesting thought. And uh, the drums stop. It says in Theon 1, by the time the sky began to lighten, the sounds of drums had faded away. So that's potentially when, you know, they come back for the rescue and everything. I don't know. Um, were you going to say something, so Marcus? I was, I was just going to say it all sort of lends, lends more credence to the conspiracy theory that they're all working together with, with some aim in, end in mind. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and I kind of think the only the only thing again to be, yeah, it's it's very neat, all these things fitting together, and I'm not sure how how easy all of it would be to coordinate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you know, in the next chapter, the rescue is going to go so poorly, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything else has worked so well, and then this. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned the scouts, and so while we're on the topic of the Hunter's Gate, I'll bring it up really quick, but. Uh, the Riswell scouts go out the Hunter's Gate and do not return. Now, in the Turncloak chapter before this, Bolton scouts had gone out and they do return. So my little tiny theory with that is that the Riswell scouts aren't actually disappearing to disappear, but they are purposefully going to Stannis to relay information of what's going on in Winterfell at the time. They're not lost. They're not, they weren't ambushed and killed. They actually went out to Stannis's camp, informed on what's going on, and that's why they're quote unquote lost. Or at least the Umbers. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Yeah. Or Morse. Yeah. It reminds me of that scene in Braveheart where the Irish armies are like running at each other and they just stop and shake their hands. It's like, shake hands. (laughs) These guys are on the same side, they're just separated by a castle wall. It could be, it could be the, um, they could be going out to meet meet the Glover and to meet Robert Glover and the Mandley men wherever they're hiding. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. That's a good. That's a good thought. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did think it was interesting. The Riswell ones are the ones not returning, and they're the ones that are potentially part of this great Nor- Grand Northern conspiracy. Whereas the Bolton Scouts, they go out and scout and then come back because they do. Right. <laughs> they're not going to inform on anybody. Uh, let's see. What did, what did you guys? There's this little throwaway bit um, with the bastards boys. So they're in this feasting hall that stinks like horse crap and everything. Um, but but then before Theon leaves and meets the hooded man, he gets like teased by the bastards boys, and they're telling him how he stinks so bad and everything. It. It feels very throwaway to me. Do you guys take anything from this section? Um, I'd be interested to hear your guys' thoughts. I, I, I kind of considered it more of, man, this chapter's so full of just like little vignettes, right? I think one of you mentioned it. It's it's kind of, there's just, it's Theon going from place to place and we get to see all those little vignettes through his eyes. But I, I always considered it more of just how broken Theon really is. Uh, just George reminding us he's not all better yet. There's a little rebirth happening, but he's not better yet. This is what's going on with him. Um, but I don't know. Did you guys find anything more in that? The the only thing that I thought about it was it was, you know, it, it's it's good setup and it's a good excuse for him leaving the hall and going and walking the walls ah, again. Mm-hmm. But you know, but but you know, George could have done that in 
any way, shape, or form. He could have just had Theon walk in the any way. number so, of ways. Yeah, uh, so perhaps there is something yeah. to it. You could have just had him stand up and leave. Yeah, that that's why that's why I pointed it out. Like he could have just had him stand up and leave, but he he put in this. You know, it's like six small paragraphs or whatever with this little scene where literally nothing happens. They're just like, "You stink again, man." Reek's like, "Yep." And they're like, I think you like sticking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's going to hurt you so bad when this is all over. Nah, yeah, he wants it. <laughs> Go away. And then he leaves. He's just like, well, okay. It's just, it's just weird. I mean, it could, it could, it is weird. It could be George just giving us some insight into what Theon's really going to. He's been telling us all this time of yeah. Ramsey and the bastard boys have done all this terrible, these terrible things to me. But uh, maybe this is just to show the continuous, maybe they're not flaying him right now, but the abuse in whatever form is constant and continuous. And that gives us maybe some insight into why Theon is the way he is. This paralysis that he still feels, he's constantly reminded of Ramsay. Even if Ramsay's not around, the bastards, bastard boys or whatever they are still are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I'll just mark it down to to that to a, a reminder of his why he's afraid and his paralysis and all the things we've talked about. Yeah, it's George showing rather than telling. Yeah. All right. Satisfied enough. <laughs> yeah, it's not super satisfactory. Marcus, you've uh, you've hinted that you have some thoughts on the GNC. Do you want to dive into that a little more? Yeah, I think um, uh, it's a it's a it's a good point to do it, and and I think. Um, the conversation where Theon's called in front of the lords, where they where they're mulling over whether he's uh, whether he's capable of carrying out mm -hmm. the murders is is great. I mean, there's some really interesting interplay between the different characters in that in that assembly. The way that um, both both Barbary Dustin and I forget which one of the generic Riswells it was, but one of the Riswells is saying. Um, you know, they're they're both griefing Anis Frey, aren't they? About uh, you know the North remembers and the Red Wedding and and all that kind of stuff. So, totally. so I mean that definitely throws throws I think more fuel on the fire of the of the GNC, and certainly adds to my sort of my thoughts around whether whether Barbary is or or isn't an ally of Roos and whether she's actually playing a different game. So I mean I think that's 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 the clearest indication that that they are just not happy with with the way things are going and they're gonna that they're willing to do something about it in a different way. So I don't know too much about getting into GNC. Grand or yeah. sorry, go on, Scott. Grand or the conspiracy is uh, something that's been well, first place I read it I think was Tower of the Hand. Um, I'm not sure whether they wrote it or not actually. It's, it's kind of one of those theories that's so pervasive now that kind of everyone's talked about it and written about it a little bit. Uh, I know Radio Westeros has a great episode on it, I think. Well, yeah, B-Fish has written on it, I think. Anyway, um, do, do you want to cover do you want to, do you want to cover the Grand or the Conspiracy in, in two sentences, Marcus, just to remind our, our uh, listeners what, what you're talking about? <laughs> sure. I, it's, a, yeah. it's such a big thing to do in two sentences. But Yeah, yeah I was going to say, nice one, Skeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. I, I'll probably miss something really critical, but, but but basically, the way I understand it is, the Grand Northern Conspiracy relates to the fact that in Rob's Rob's will, 
he named Jon Snow as his heir. And people are aware of that. So um, Jason Malister knows about it. Uh, crikey. Who are the other people who know about it? Who are carrying the message north? There's the lady from Bear Island whose name... Yeah, Mage, Mage Mormont. That's it. Mage Mormont, Mage Mormont does. One of the Glovers. Yeah, yeah uh, Galbert Glover. Galbert yeah, Glover. So, so they're taking the message north. So so the theory is that the, the people in the north are aware of the, the contents of the will and are working together to either get Jon Snow onto the, the throne as king in the north or to rescue either Bran or Rickon and have them on the throne of, of, of the of, as the king in the north and basically all of the houses that aren't effectively the Boltons and Freys are working together to, to those ends. Yeah, perfectly done. That's exactly what I wanted. Uh, it, to distill it down even further, it's basically the fuck Bolton and Frey theory. <laughs> yeah. Every, everybody is against them. They're just not not exposing their hand yet. Right. And uh, with all the, that background will stuff is being, you know, part of the motivation. Um, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, and I, I agree with you. This section is, this section is, um, well, Barbara Dustin doesn't pull any punches. <laughs> I mean, she's, she flat out says it. Uh, she, so first of all, she says night work is not night's work. She's trying to defend to say that it's not one of Lord Wyman's knights. Come on, man. Knights don't run around murdering people in the dark. That's not what's happening here. Again, kind of trying to pull back and calm everyone down and keep action from happening, keep stockpiling that powder into the keg, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But she says, too, uh, the North remembers, Frey. Even Dustin's out of Barrowtown. Everybody, all of them, remember what happened and so they're not this is not this is not even something they're trying to hide it is outwardly spoken we don't like you watch your back yeah and she says it in front of Roos even right <laughs> they're not hiding anything about this here at least as it as it goes to phrase nobody's calling Roos out and being like we're coming for you but as far as the phrase go Every single one of these people in the room with them is like, sit down, Frey. Yeah. I mean, even the language that's used, she specifically says the North remembers uh, yeah. as she's defending Manderly, as she's explaining why it isn't him. She says the North remembers. She even uses the word, and it certainly isn't exclusive to this topic, but she uses the word farce. Uh, which we hear Manderly use, the Mummer's farce. Uh, so even this language feels very similar to the North Remembers speech by Wyman. And uh, and we bring up Manderly's hour-long <laughs> squats in this conversation mm -hmm. as well. That comes up again. Yep. So Yeah, it's, it's like this play has traveled from White Harbor to, to Winterfell. It was a play and that Manderly all... put on. There, they're all reading used, from the same script, right? They all they have this script they use. He he feeds that hour long squats, which is a very memorable word and term and phrase, to you know his serving boy, and it circulates and the phrase latch onto it, and they use that term. Now they're using that term in Winterfell too. These hour long squats that must take up his entire day. I'm certain that he can't do anything other than squat for hours at a time, 
I mean, like, mm-hmm. it, it's just this myth they've built of this cowardly, completely incapable man. And I think it's going to be key to their strategy of, of pulling this off, is yeah. making sure that the phrase underestimate Wyman Manderley and what he can do. And his, yeah, his forces and what he's able to bring to the table. Yeah. yeah I agree. And, of course, he's flopping around like a clump <laughs> seal the last time we see him. But be that as it may... Be that as it may. Oh dear, yeah. So, can we talk a little about Barbary Dustin herself? Please. Yeah. So, and we we sort of alluded to this before, but I'm I'm just going to go back to whether or not she she actually hates the Starks. Um, you know, sort of thinking thinking things through. We know that we know that mm-hmm. she's she's told Theon. That, that she that she does and she wants to feed Ned's bones to her dogs. I just don't necessarily yeah. I don't necessarily buy that anything she says to Theon is genuine rather than it's a message that she wants Theon to pass back to Ramsay. I think she assumes that that Theon is telling Ramsay everything that he hears and Ramsay is feeding that back to Roos. So I think it's all all mm-hmm. part of like a mummer's a mummer's act. To convince Roos that she's on his side, whereas if if you look back to you know the things that happened earlier earlier in her life, and obviously we only get parts of the story, but she obviously was was heavily in love with Brandon Stark, and then mm-hmm. you know she said she got left with um, Lord Dustin. I I don't think she had any real affection for him. She gave him a gift of a of a horse, didn't she? Before he went to war in the uh, the mm-hmm. War of Robert's Re- Rebellion, and that horse that horse was returned to her by Ned. And I think that's actually she probably cared as much for that horse as she cared for her husband. And getting that back probably meant more than she she lets on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have anything to back that up, but that's just my uh, my uh, my crackpot theory on it all. No, I, you know, as you think about it, you, we don't have word of Eddard Stark bringing anything else back for any of the other guys that died at the Tower of Joy. Yeah. And the fact that he was willing to bring this horse back and drop it off to her at Barrowton, I, I think is a pretty cool gesture on Eddard's part. That's not fair. He brought John home for cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't start on, don't start on that. Oh boy. I, I like the point too. Joke, joke aside, I, I like the point. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure, I'm sure she liked Lord Dustin fine. She knew him for like six months. You know, like I mean, yeah. she didn't have a lot of time to forge a real relationship. Cat talks about that with Ned. You know, like she put a baby inside of me and left. I didn't, and I didn't know him. him. I, mm-hmm. you know, we got back and we made this love thing work, but I didn't know him. You know, Barbary right. didn't hardly probably even know Lord Dustin. She just knew that her life got upset. But yeah, she probably was glad to have the horse back. Um, you know, it's it's just a horse, but the Riswells are fond of them, as we know. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't think she hates the Starks as much as she lets on. I imagine she isn't happy with them. But it's kind of she, like, you know, she doesn't love them. But it's, it's um, you know what it's like? Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, well, Matt is, I know a little bit at least, with the music, familiar with Hamilton. Um, uh-huh. 
toward the end of Hamilton. Spoilers if you haven't seen it. Please do. It's friggin' amazing. Or just listen to the soundtrack. You get you get the whole idea through the soundtrack. You don't need to see the play. Um, but do. It's good. Anyway. Uh, throughout that play, there's a conflict between, between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. And uh, there's also a conflict, a slightly lesser conflict, between Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, and, and Alexander Hamilton as well. And one of the conflicts toward the end of the story is that Burr and Jefferson are running for president of the United States. And 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 he Alexander Hamilton backs Thomas Jefferson, even though he disagrees with him about everything. He's closer to Burr on a lot of things. He disagrees with Jefferson on everything. But Burr just changes his mind about everything and never holds a, holds a real position on anything. <clears throat> it's coming around. I know it's taken a while to get there. But Barbary Dustin looks at the Starks like Jefferson. Like, fuck you, man. I hate you. But, like, you still have ideas that are worth having. You're still a good person. I still... Yeah, you take care of us. You, yeah. yeah, you still... I still like you, right? <laughs> Burr over here, the phrase, the Boltons, no. Nope, no go. Not at all. I'm with the Starks, even though, yeah, I kind of disagree with them all the time and don't like them. It was, it took yeah, a long time love to you. get there. Even, no, that's a great comparison, actually. Marcus is like, um, you, You're <laughs> basically talking, yeah, you, you're basically talking to somebody who knows nothing about Hamilton. Like, literally nothing. I'm joking, man. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that's an untalked about you know part of history in that class <laughs> sorry about that for, hope for hopefully Marcus's our listeners education. got more out of it than you did uh i'll put it differently nope. uh you know here's the much simpler yeah. one yeah uh i can make fun of my younger brother but nobody else gets to <laughs> right i can make okay. fun of the starks i can be angry at the starks but you Frays and Boltons don't get to, right? So I, I don't think she likes them, but she's certainly yeah. not going to stand for these other people not liking them in this different way, right? That's where I am. Yeah, for sure. I, I also wonder, I know I've been talking for a long time. Uh, I wonder if her questions to Theon about you, you mentioned, Marcus, that he, she thinks that he's going to report to Ramsay. I wonder if she's testing Theon's loyalties a little bit with these statements to see if he'll stand up for the Starks a little bit, to see if yeah, that's interesting. If he has any spine left in him or not, to kind of see mm. how broken he is. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, kind of feel him out. Yeah, is this someone? Maybe she's yeah thinking of. I know he looks awful, but is he someone we can use? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I like um, I like what you said, Marcus. I I think I tend to agree with it that you know she's got to play this act, even though Theon's the only guy down there in the crypts. It's not like they hid the fact that they were trying to get in the crypts. They weren't doing it sneakily or anything. They're sitting there pounding on the crypt doors for half an hour to try to break the ice off it and everything. People undoubtedly walked by and saw what they were doing and everything. And it's probably, there's a good chance it could get back to Roos and Ramsey and others that Theon's taken Barbary Dustin down to the crypts. And of course, they're going to ask Theon, what were you guys doing down there? And now there's a story for Theon to tell about how much yeah. Barbary hates the Starks. And 
Yeah, she's giving yeah. him an, an easy out for that for that story. You're right. right. Yeah. 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 Is there so is there more grand Randall and conspiracy stuff you want to hit? No, so I I think I'm sort of yeah. Sorry, I, I think apologies. I, I, I think I'm covered on Grand Northern con- Conspiracy. I wanted to touch on um, a little bit more stuff about Theon, though, if we can. Yeah, absolutely, always. Let's do so, it, man. So another one of these heartbreaking or, or sort of tragic things for Theon is when he when he hears when he hears the drums and he thinks about the salt the the potential I guess uh, conflict around Winterfell. And he's like, he thinks to himself being passed from one bastard to another. And he thinks about his relationship with, with John and how John would, you know, just kill him out of hand. It's it's one of those where you sort of, you, you kind of, you don't, you don't, Theon doesn't really understand John's behaviour. And it's another tragedy to sort of think that he's just going to get killed by somebody. He, he wasn't that close to John. He wasn't as close to John as he was with Rob, but. You know, they they definitely had some kinship, and they went through a lot of experiences together as, mm-hmm. as as young boys, and you know, into their teens. So it's it's just another sign of, of the sadness and the regret in Theon's life. Oh, good point. Yeah. <clears throat> On one hand, I was trying to think about this. I was like, would John do it? Would John kill Theon? And you know, you could say maybe that John's killed people for less. <laughs> John O'Slint is who I'm thinking of. <clears throat> but uh, on the other hand, there is a history there, and you'd like to think that John would want to at least see why Theon did what he did, uh, and and this is certainly Theon just kind of projecting his guilt onto John and projecting what he thinks John should do to him, because Theon, of course, feels tremendous guilt at what he did to those Miller's boys and the residents of Winterfell and all of that. But yeah, it's interesting to think how John would react knowing what Theon did. Hmm. Scad? Yeah, I don't have much to add. Uh, I mean, I, I think um, John's so hard up for men at the wall, he'd probably sentence <laughs> him to death and say, do you want to stay at the wall instead? Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think it is an interesting thought. I think uh, certainly John's in a, an interesting place at this point in the story where He's dealing with a lot of loss of his family. And yeah, he might just take it out on Theon for disposing of Brandon Rickon, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Theon certainly... He's in a place of tremendous, tremendous guilt. Yeah. Which, I mean, he should have. He's been... He deserves. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Let's, not, let's not call it anything it isn't. He was pretty terrible. Uh, yeah. He's suffered a lot since then. He's uh, the the worst thing is is that he's taken innocent lives galore down to children. Yeah, and you know we talked earlier about how much he's gone through since then, and if that payment's there, and you know we feel for Theon because we're inside his head, but the fact of the matter is he killed a lot of people and was responsible for the deaths of a lot of people that shouldn't have died even down to you know who was it farwin or whoever that the kennel master who he had beheaded just to cover what he'd done like just awful stuff so you know what the you know what the trouble 
Oh, go ahead, Marcus. I was. I think the. Um, you know, and it, and it happens a lot. There's a lot of of talk. The hooded man calls him Kinslayer, and he keeps talk. And Theon keeps answering back about. You know, I'm not a Kinslayer. They were never my kin. But I think mm-hmm. you know the number of times he thinks about the young boys at the mill. Um, yeah. and I know it's. I know it's not a not a proven, but I, it, it's definitely a theory out there that they're actually his children, his bastards. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, you know, there's there's something there in Ooh. terms of oh, man. The, the number of times he thinks that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, crap, man. Oof. It's definitely a possibility. Uh, yeah. Something I've seen in the fandom before. And uh, something that thematically, yeah, the way it's written definitely fits. Oof. Um, it, it also it also fits if they're not true because they're, um, you know, while while the people in Winterfell he killed and it was monstrous and abominable, um, he he went out of his way to kill the Miller's boys to cover for a lie that was bigger than all this other stuff too, right? So it, it's 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 almost a worse crime if that makes sense than the other killings, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it, it stands apart for other reasons, but I, I think probably the Miller boys thing is probably true. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about Theon to me and his punishment is, um, you know, we, we talked about like, he's more than paid and yes and no. I mean, he, he, he didn't, yeah. he didn't get what he deserved, but he also hasn't been punished the way he really did deserve. And there's, there's a sense of barbarism to his punishment that he's received it to sorry not i keep calling his punishment it's not what he's punished for there's a barbarism to the way he's been treated by ramsey that makes mm-hmm. us say oh that's worse than what he deserved no, and yeah, it's terrible and everything. Mm-hmm. but it has nothing yeah. to do with his crimes it, that's just right. ramsey's barbarism what mm-hmm. what what we need yeah. from theon is accountability for what he's done for expressing regret and remorse to people that need to hear it. Uh, and that's the punishment he needs. Um, you know, and then, you know, I don't know about beheading or anything like that, but, but that's the growth we need to see from him. And I, I don't really, I don't really even know if we see it yet. He's certainly broken, but it's almost like, well, it's almost like the way he was treated broke him so badly that he can't really even contend with all this stuff well enough to, to deal with it and feel the remorse that he should feel. Right. Yeah, because he's he's kind of almost blaming it on. Well, they're ghosts now. There's nothing I can do. Right. Instead of confronting it. Yeah. A little. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's I think he's he's gonna have he's gonna have to see and meet up with one of the Starks. I think before he can really show mm. that that remorse and that regret for what he's done. And even then, yeah. a Stark's not necessarily going to be the right the right person for him to express remorse to for for all the innocent victims. But you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who he sh- expresses that remorse to. It has to be somebody <laughs> meaningful to him. Well, within himself first is what I'd like to see. I, I think he expresses. It's not remorse. I don't know what to call it, but it's yeah. Like yeah, Matt he's, said, he's he's not he call, calls them ghosts. Yeah. He's excusing yeah. his behavior. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't my kin. Rather than expressing true sorrow, you're right. That's a really, really good. Point. I needed heads. I needed bodies. I had to. They were going to judge me. What else was I supposed to right. do? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
you know, this, this just came to me that what's one thing that Gurm does so well with me anyways is makes me self-examine my own feelings on bigger issues and topics. And what he does for me here is he makes me examine my sense of justice mm-hmm. of, There's a lot you know, if, it, yeah. yeah, if, if, if I didn't have a POV of Theon, I just want him to die. You know, knowing, knowing that he killed the Miller's boys, knowing that he say, I knew all those facts of what he did, but I didn't, I wasn't inside of his head. I would be like, kill him in the most torturous way you can. You know, he killed two boys for no reason other than to make it so people wouldn't make fun of him. Like, rip off all his digits one by one, then do his legs into, like, the pain from Princess Bride, yes. right? Do that to Theon, right? That would yeah. be justice for me. But then you get inside his head, and you're like, oh, that's too much. Nope, that's too much. Like, give give Theon a break. Just give the guy a break. <laughs> yeah. Imagine and getting POVs for Gregor or Joffrey yeah. or Ramsay or something. Like, oh, how far could he go and pull us back? Right. And so, George, I mean, clap, clap, George. <laughs> Thank you for making me reexamine my own sense of justice here and realize, you know, where I'm willing to give guys passes. <laughs> Maybe I'm too empathetic. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, interesting. So, so that, interesting. that's um, a very, very bleak thought that you raised. That I mean, I'd kind of, I kind of felt that Theon had bottomed out and we were going to see a, a regrowth arc, but you think he's he's got some, some further falling to do before he's truly sorrow, sorrowful Maybe. for the bad things that he's done, the crimes he's committed. Wow. Well, I don't you, know that you mentioned... I think that is growth. I, I think it's I think that's positive. Well, yeah, it's true. just yeah, something true. he's got to come to that he hasn't dealt with yet. Yeah. But I think you, it is growth. You mentioned he might have to uh make himself accountable to one of the Starks, and interestingly enough, we have Theon and Urbran trying to communicate with Theon yeah. apparently via the Heart Tree. And where we end up in the uh, Winds of Winter sample chapter, you know how that chapter ends is they're about to take Theon out to the heart tree to execute him um, uh, with Asha and everything. Right. So you you can't help but think of Theon's past experiences with heart trees if <laughs> there's yeah. going to be some sort of interaction there with Bran, potentially. Yeah, so that's a good segue into this, into this chapter's discussion with the heart tree, as brief as it is. Um because I, I think it I think it is meant to set the table for that one that will come in wins. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler for those that don't read wins. I think we have a few. <laughs> uh, we warned you. We warned you. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in this chapter, he talks to the tree. The tree says his name. Then the tree says Bran. Just two names. Do we have evidence that... The, 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 I mean, I, I assume it's Bran. Do we have evidence that... Bran can do more than say a word at a time. Um, I don't think we do have any yeah. evidence. I mean, I, I was thinking it's, it's obviously not achieved whatever effect Bran was trying to achieve with Theon, because you you assume the communication yeah. is is to is to say something, and and actually all it does is it makes Theon feel guilty about stuff again, and think he's being judged. Right. Yeah, I don't think that was Bran's intent. 
probably. Mm-hmm. He's like, Theon, I'm here. I'm here. It's me. <laughs> um, in fact, well, this is a potential hint into Bran's power is that Blood Raven says in a previous Bran chapter that you cannot communicate through a heart tree. Right. You can only observe. Right. And here Bran is starting to get in little words here and there, which to me is a demonstration of the tremendous power that Bran is capable of and yeah. that he's starting to realize and is still in its infancy, but it's there. Yeah, I really wonder what he is trying to communicate here in this in this scene. You know, like you like maybe it's just early days and he's learning and still mm-hmm. obviously more powerful, like you said, because Blood Raven can't even do this after trying it for thirty years. Um but what's he what what do you what what could you let's take ten seconds each and try to theorize what he could be trying to reach him about. I'll go first since <laughs> I put everyone on the spot. Thank God. Yeah. I don't yeah. have anything. I'm gonna make it up as I go. Uh I mean, may, maybe could it be, could it be about the crypts and a way out or a place to hide? Or Bran mentions, um, Bran mentions in one of his first chapters, maybe his third chapter or something when he's climbing the walls before he gets thrown about a secret way in. If you like run, right. run yep. through the, the wall, run through certain hallway or whatever, and then you end up like a whole floor down and there's a way to get into the into the keep or something like that would be a very a tremendously difficult message to try to give via the heart tree. But maybe he's trying to reach him with some information like that. Ooh, look at you and me, Scad. We've been doing this for too long. Um, you know, going back to what I said about Gurm explaining everything about the different gates. And then, yeah, I, uh, he says, in that brand chapter, he knew you could get inside the inner wall by the south gate, climb three floors, run all the way around Winterfell through a narrow tunnel in the stone, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Come out on ground level at the north gate with 100 feet of wall looming over you. So, yeah, if he's trying to communicate, Bran, through the heart tree, there's northmen coming in and out of the heart tree all the time. So you got to think that Bran has a pretty good idea of the state that Winterfell's in. I, he knew it was a ruined mess when he left. Yeah, uh, but he might have a better idea that oh now we've got like infiltrators in here who are not honoring the legacy of my family and blah 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 so and so and yeah I think he could be trying to communicate to Theon to try to help him. Um, imagine imagine he could communicate right a simple idea like Theon Northgate Tunnel, right? And that gives Theon a message to give to Stannis Something to go off of. Yeah. To how for how to infiltrate and get in or something. I don't know. Yep. Way Good way filthy. Way filthy. <laughs> There's some Python for you, Mark. <laughs> Good work. So um, the the only thing the only thing I can think I don't I don't really know what sort of message he'd be trying to give, but but I think what Bran's trying to do is trying to get Theon to understand there is a connection. And then Theon could could mm-hmm. use the heart tree almost like a magic eight ball. Theon could be giving his his theories and ideas. So so magic eight ball, Bran in the tree. Should I be doing this or should I be doing that? And then if Bran can only commun- mm. communicate, oh, with, yeah. then maybe that would be the way to get a better level of communication between them. Yes. Uh, no. Uh huh. 
he's just trying to teach Theon yeah. sign language. He's trying to he's trying to open up a communication line period yep. of any kind. Yeah, I see. Right. Oh, similar to Manderly and Glover teaching Wex how to communicate. Right. Like that's yeah. yeah. Hmm. Good idea. There's much nice sim- much simpler than Theon Northgate Tunnel. <laughs> Northgate run this way, go that way. <laughs> Just, yes, no, not likely. <laughs> right. Does not look <laughs> fucking likely. There's some Jason Lee for you. Oh, damn. Uh, that kind of takes us to the end of the chapter, huh? Yeah. yeah I, just one, one real quick thing. Mm-hmm. Is anyone else bothered by the I want to touch you turn cloak phrase, phrasing? It's just a weird way to to say it, right? Is she threatening to kill him? Is it does it mean something other than? Do you guys know what I'm even talking about? It's meant to slightly be, yeah. Holly says it to him in the Godswood, right? Yeah. I think it's meant to be slightly like off-putting and a little menacing. Yeah. 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 All right, that's all. (laughs) Playing games with him. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, should we move on? Should we get to know Marcus a little more? Let's before do it. Before we, yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us, Marcus, your ice and fire story. Tell us how you came to. I guess we could lump these two questions together: how you came to a song of ice and fire, and then also how you came to our little fandom. <laughs> okay. So, so. The, the A Song of Ice and Fire story is probably quite simple, but you might have to strap yourselves in for the <laughs> um, the fandom story. I've written some notes Ooh. and it's like a page. <laughs> so well, you'll, you'll have to tell, me to, yeah, tell me to shut up when I get when I get boring. So Song of Ice and Fire, um, you know, way back in the mists of time. I, I, I wasn't an early finder of, of A Song of Ice and Fire. I got into the novels at some point between a feast for crows and a dance with dragons one of my, one of my best friends just just lent me lent me the uh, the first couple of books to read and um that didn't take me long at all to get through on the first read i probably didn't understand anything i almost certainly missed huge chunks of it and definitely didn't pick up on any um well i'm not even going to call it the subtle subtexts um i think you guys touched on it in a in a previous episode i did not pick up on um, R, R plus L equals J or anything like that on on first read. It was very oh, much you know, power through it, and then uh, and then <laughs> go back and reread it again afterwards several times. So I I think that was back in about 2010. Um, it was before the TV series. Although I remember, um, you know, talking about the hype for the TV series with people people I worked with at the time, and then just after that came out, A Dance with Dragons came out. So. I was one of those sweet summer children who didn't realise there was quite the gap between um, books that we seem to have had. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun um, catching up and finding out everything. And you know, whilst we'd all love to get a win, mm-hmm. you know, Winds of Winter, we have fabulous stories that we can go back and reread and find find um, more and more out about. So so that was good. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, moving on to how I found the fandom and the gateway, this is this is probably a a, a bigger story for me 
Uh, and it'll mean, obviously it means more for me than it'll do for anybody else. But um, you know, it it's sort of quite. Um, I think it's quite an emotive subject for me, or, or an emotional subject. Um, hmm. So I, I got into I got into the fandom initially as as a very distant. I'll just listen to some podcasts. Um, I'd always always mm-hmm. like probably you know right from the very word go of podcasts being a thing. I've been into them. Lots of stuff to do with hmm. with sport and cinema, um, and loads to do with uh, a game, a board, well, a stri- strategic miniature figures game called Warhammer that you, you may have heard of. I know Scad's referenced hmm. D&D, so you probably know of Warhammer. I used to play that quite heavily um, and listen to half a dozen different podcasts of Warhammer and, and you yeah, know, regular content. <laughs> that was a lot of time spent listening. And then I sort of fell out of love with the game and consequently stopped listening to the podcast because the podcasts were about the game. Um and, and I had a big big gap in my listening, and, and I ended up picking up um, Radio Westeros as sort of the first one I discovered just by a quick search on mm-hmm. iTunes Store and listened to Radio Westeros and a couple of other ones. There was, um, I can't even remember the name of it, one that, that Nina Friel was involved in, that, you know, that was, that was you know, really interesting, lots of sort of essay discussions and things like that, and I was, like, blown away that... Mm there were that many different people out there who were so passionate about this hob about this um about this novel series and and you know mm-hmm. they were willing to put content out there they were willing to talk about it so so that was great and i and i sort of got involved um at a very a very distant level just as a listener wasn't actively engaged and i always felt you know back, back in those early days that I'm over here in the UK. Almost everybody talking about it seemed to be based in in the US, and it was like mm-hmm. the what you know there wasn't a huge let's say a connection, or I didn't feel I was just you know somebody who listened to them, and they had no interest in in me quite rightly because they wouldn't have known me from Adam, and and I didn't feel like I should make that connection. Um, hmm. but then so I'm going to go back to. So, well, I picked up on Davos Fingers through A Song of Madness. So I think on Twitter, I probably nice. found the first one by just following Radio Westeros and a few other people and seeing them retweeting it. So I jumped jumped into the first mm-hmm. A Song of Madness and then from there discovered that you guys did a podcast as well. So so, <laughs> so I, I went in and I was one of those people who went, well, if I'm going to listen to this. And I'm guess I I don't know exactly when it would have been. I don't think you were much above sort of twenty episodes, maybe. Um, oh wow! So when it when it started, but I didn't jump in at whatever the most recent episode was. I would have gone back to episode one and started from the beginning, because mm-hmm. um, that's what I like to do with with podcasts. A completionist. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Can, yeah. Can, can be a little bit daunting. I've very recently discovered a. As a, as a side note, I've re- recently discovered a History of England podcast that I've jumped into, and they're about 400 episodes in. So starting from the Ooh. beginning there is like, wow. They're, they're short, though. They're not these mm-hmm. um, two, two or three-hour epics. They're only half an hour, so it's easier to catch up. <laughs> um, and then, so 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 for me, like A Song of Madness was, was sort of my route into 
really engaging with with people more and i think i probably chipped in a oh, few cool. comments uh, in the early years but not a lot and then started speaking and i think you know talking about star wars and lord of the rings and things like that with with you guys <laughs> um criticizing the hobbit loving rogue one that kind of stuff was a um you know was a sort of real active engagement and then so to a song of madness's previous to this one i was going through a, a, a like a fairly turbulent period period in my life i'd just left a company i'd worked for for 20 years um and i was mm-hmm. on so i basically got made redundant at the end of 2018 and so it going into i was on guard like decent a reasonable let's say redundancy payout and a few months of garden leave at the end of the contract so i was um twiddling my thumbs not really doing very much in in march other than looking for jobs so a song of madness was like an absolute godsend it was something i could could engage with and take my mind off everything else that was going on so so it was it was 2019 that I started like every day I was on there waiting to see what was coming out what were the matchups and and posting and really oh, cool. yeah really enjoyed it and it was it was it was great for me last for that year and then obviously 2020 was just a crazy situation for everybody so you know we had mm-hmm. we had uh, covid we had pandemic I ended up going on to so I'd found a found a new job and then ended up going on to furlough at the in February because I'd been there for like six months and it was like you know if they're going to furlough people they're not going to furlough the people who know what they do yep. they've been there for 20 years they're going to furlough the um the, the new people who are still trying to find their feet so so I I went on to furlough yeah which I don't know if you know the term furlough basically I was still paid but not right. working um which was like the weirdest thing ever it was like having an extended because there was no pressure to find another job but you couldn't actually right. work, you, you know, you're just not allowed to work. So it was like, oh. so, you know, I talked about getting involved in exercise. Well, I, you know, having a lot of free time, I could do a lot of exercise. I could participate in a song of madness. It was great last year. So, so for me, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a fantastic thing to, to be involved in. And I really enjoyed it. And I looked forward to it for, for that reason. And, you know, it's uh, not, not to get all, all mushy on you guys, but, but what what you do with a song of madness and the effort and the time that you put into it makes you know from my personal experience makes a, a you know a tangible difference to my life. It it makes my life and my enjoyment of things to do with the fandom and you know some light-hearted way of enjoying myself. It's it's really important. So you know I'm massively grateful for the work that you guys do. Well, I say work the the things that you guys do for for love. <laughs> Thank you, man. It means a lot. Yeah, it does mean a lot. Uh, I think you touched on the things that we want to do with this is help people smile a little, have some fun, and also interact with other people in the fandom and not feel kind of alone and isolated like you kind of felt when you first got into the fandom. So that's really cool, man. Thank you for sharing that. That means a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure. And, and you know, it, it's, it's absolutely not anything about the the like the the fandom as a group in terms of me not wanting to engage that's that was just me sure, you know sure. the, the, the way right. I, I mean i shout shout out obviously to yourselves who are fantastic in terms of the way you engage and, and the people at radio westross as well in particular are 
so welcoming uh-huh. to to new people into the the community and stuff like that. It's it's it is really you know it's it's t- to everyone's credit who who does that, but it's really pleasing to see as as somebody who who felt you know out of out of my choice really that I was an outsider. It's it's really nice to know that if you ever want to step inside and become an insider or or become part of the family, you can do it. Yeah. We've got a spot for you already. Yeah. That's so true. It's, it, this, it makes our world feel a little smaller actually, you know, we've just to meet the Kalisar at the same time (laughs) and bigger at the same time. I mean, we've done meet the Kalisar episodes with people now scad from the U S from Canada, from Tonga, Mm -hmm. And now England, for Pete's sakes, like the UK. This is, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's the great thing about, you know, sort of having shared loves and shared passions is that, you know, boundaries, borders and distance become irrelevant. Yes. For sure. It sounds like you found, moving on from a song of ice and fire, it sounds like you found lots of those kinds of things. It sounds like you're active with other podcasts. You got really into Warhammer. Um, you mentioned somewhere painting minifigs. Is there is there another is there another fandom that that you follow like Song of Ice and Fire, or is Song of Ice and Fire kind of the zenith? Uh, I mean, I, I was heavily heavily engaged in in Warhammer for for a number of years, and mm. and you know I was lucky enough to to travel i I used to play tournaments regularly like once once a week sorry once a month me and me and a few friends would would go to different tournaments around the country and you'd make lots of you know you obviously you make lots of friends by the same people going to the same events and hanging out you'd you'd have a weekend away you'd you'd drink most most mostly i mean i was more regular doing it pre-kids or well, when we had one, it became a lot harder when we had when we had the second um, to do. It's possible. It went yeah. away. Yep. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it faded. But but I was also lucky enough um, to go and play internationally a couple of times. So I travelled to Italy and to Germany a couple of times to play in no sort of huge huge international tournaments. So I mean. Um, let's say it was international Dang. competition so i was representing representing team england but there was a, there was wow. a lot to be said for being one of the early adopters i mean in the in the first year we went to do it it was the first time england had participated so it wasn't necessarily the best wow. eight players it was the uh, the eight eight people who, who volunteered and put their hands found first. the form online yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so so that that was that was great fun so i've made a lot of um friends in in different countries i mean you know i still not, not that i speak to them particularly but there's there's guys in australia who i'll i'll be in touch with on facebook and and, and chat and, and like and thumbs up and comment on stuff that that goes on so 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 it was you know that that was that was really big for me and something i really enjoyed and and i still follow a lot of the people who do it and i still um have a bit of an interest in it but i sort of moved away from that game and into other things i, I moved into um i think matt mentioned x-wing miniatures game which was a, a tabletop game again uh the game was fantastic and it was brilliant being in the star wars universe but it less 
I guess less engagement. It was it was it was harder for me because it was you know that was post children. So I was if I was right. going to events, it was travel in the morning, travel home in the evening. So you don't have the uh, you know the staying up till three o'clock in the morning, drinking beers and chatting shit kind <laughs> of bonding experience. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. I think Matt, so Matt and I struggle with that for Song of Ice and Fire a little bit, right? Like the family thing and separating this from the family and that's why we recorded 9 30 right that's the right. time that's the time we're available kids are to bed and yeah yeah, yeah. for sure yeah that, that'll be easier as you get older because the kids may not be in bed but they won't want to spend any time with you so you'll find yeah. <laughs> they don't want to talk to you anyways <laughs> yeah we'll have different problems with them using the bandwidth and things like that though yeah uh, <laughs> all right well what so so what is it so I mean, it sounds like you were very engaged in Warhammer and um, Song of Ice and Fire. Now, what what do you think? Why do you think Song of Ice and Fire really speaks to you personally? What what keeps you kind of coming back to it and engaging all the podcast content that you say you do and all that? Well, I mean, the the books themselves are amazing. I I, I can't give the books any higher compliment than saying they are right up there with with. The Lord of the Rings and the sort of world that Tolkien built in terms of, um, you know, depth of, of world building, of background, of, of information. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're significantly different in terms of the tone and the feel of the stories. Yes. Um, yeah. but but that sense of epicness of of the backstory of the history. I mean, I I, I read and, and listen to a lot of stuff about history. So one of the things I'm I'm really interested in is probably less around the theorizing and speculating about the future with a song of ice and fire, but more the going into the back background and seeing what's 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 happening and what where yeah. it's all come from. Totally, so, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, fire I, blood was a godsend for me. I mean, what a what a fantastic. Me too. I, I never understand the people that don't want to. I mean, to each their own. Yeah. But I never understand when people are like, ah, oh, fire and blood. It's just history and. No POVs and like it's so rich. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, it takes all kinds. So, yeah, so I mean, I used to, um, I I got Lord of the Rings quite, quite young. Probably didn't understand it all at the time, but I had it for, um, I got it, it when I was nine years old. My parents, my dad, I think, went out and bought me, um the books as a reward for i'd played it I'd, I'd done well in a chess tournament and like a prize was a book token so he oh, spent nice. the book token on on like the first volume on the fellowship of the ring and he bought me the two towers and return of the king as well as a as a well done so i was sort of reading them at the age of nine probably not understanding very much but but loving it and loving the appendices at the back of the of the <laughs> book and stuff like that and, and i've mm-hmm. always been i've always been a rereader yeah. so read it once read it twice read it you know keep keep going so look so song of ice and fire does exactly the same for me oh for sure yeah Yeah. i feel like that's a great answer to that question uh we just talked about how you don't like doing fan doing theory theorizing what's your favorite theory that's yet yeah so so there's a difference between i don't do theorizing because i'm rubbish at it but I like other people's theories and reading about them. So, um, so I mean, we've we've talked a lot about Grand Northern Conspiracy, and I'm a big fan of that one. But I'm also um, 
really intrigued about Aegon stroke Fagon and the Black Fires and stuff like that. So so I'm I'm sort of quite interested in where oh, that goes. Oh. How's that? Yeah, I mean I think we're we're seeing that ties into your history thing too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the 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 the, the Blackfire rebel rebellions, certainly the first, which we know we know more about, is is great backstory, and um, you know that that's well worth talking about. And shout out to History of Westeros's coverage on that was was just phenomenal. They had probably probably my favourite mm. History of Westeros podcast with Blackfire Rebellion stuff, um, which was which was really good. Oh. and yeah. I think we're going so to go into. a recommendation into... for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give that a go. I, I think we're seeing the six Blackfire Rebellion now in in Westeros. I don't think we're seeing um, the restoration mm. of, of, of of the Targaryen dynasty. Ah, yeah, I like that. Aegon the sixth. Well, speaking of the restoration of the Targaryen dynasty, although not not the same one that you're talking about. Uh, is Danny going to make it back to Westeros? Do you think she'll go east to Asai first? Um, so, my my tongue in cheek answer on on this one is I really don't care. It it doesn't doesn't bother me. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It doesn't doesn't bother me one way, shape, or form. What what I would say is, I I, I would trust George to do whatever he chooses to do. In absolutely a brilliant way, and so it'll be fantastic to read whichever way she does. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I can't argue against her going there because, I mean, she's got a friggin' dragon to fly on, so she could she could go to Vase Dothrak, which I think's where we're going to see her next. Although other people might see her back in Lorraine, I think she'll go to Vase Dothrak, and then she could fly to Ashai in, you know, a couple of little time hops on the back of Drogon. So. It's possible. <laughs> Definitely. I like it. All right, last last one. Who will be the young queen that will take Cersei's place in her prophecy? Or are you are you tongue in cheek on the prophecy is lame train? We'll see what happens, train. <laughs> That's like where I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I am on the on the prophecy is lame. <laughs> So, yeah, there's 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 only a few things that tend to make me skip and not read sections, and it's prophecy, poetry, or song. Um, so, you know. <laughs> oh man, how do you get through Tolkien then? Yeah, I mean, there were there were there were pages and pages of Tolkien that I skipped. Apart apart from um, yeah, just turn turn yeah, turn. Yeah, I'm there with is, you. There is, I do the same. Yeah, there is. Apart from there isn't in a merry old inn. Beneath the Deep Grey Hill, which is a fantastic little little song from Tolkien. But um yeah, so I kinda skip over it and have to have <laughs> to force myself to go back and read it properly if I need to. But you asked the question and I put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. Um so bear with me on this one. I I'm of the opinion that okay. we are gonna see several changes in terms of whoever the king stroke queen stroke ruler of Westeros is whoever sits the Iron Throne so I think that Cersei's place will be taken but I don't think that's the final story I think somebody will take her place and then somebody will take their place and so on and so forth 
and I think the young the young queen is going to be Ariane that will take mm. her place. So, oh, so I'm working. Oh, like almost immediately, like with with the sack of Storm's End or something. Yeah. So so I'm or working after, on, after this yeah. after the Storm's End. Yeah, I'm working on the fact that um, Ariane is going to seduce Fagon. Um, yeah. Right. We're yep. working on the basis. I, I can't remember how old Aegon is supposed to be, and I don't think we know how old he actually is if he's fake. Um, but I'm going to pretend, for the sake of decency, that he's 16, because I don't want to think about anything else. Yeah, it's too 16, icky. 17. Yeah. Yeah. Robert's Rebellion. Yeah. yeah. 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a 20 ish year old Ariane seducing me as a 16 or 17 year old boy would have been i mean there would have been yeah, very very little resistance to that i think i'm married within about a week so so i think she's yeah. going to seduce yep, that's Fagon. definitely happening she's gonna she's gonna get married to him i think he's gonna um take king's landing sit the iron throne for a short period of time i don't know how short time yeah so I think she'll she'll that's replace her, and then somebody will replace her. That that's my thoughts. I like the thought, man. You put a lot of I thought like into it. Too. I like it. I it's like not it one you hear a lot. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like it. No. Okay. Kind of like a dog, though. I'm just thinking about the last thing I've told. It's probably to do with the fact that a lot of the podcasts recently have been about Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel that too. <laughs> so, uh, that is the end of our show today. We're going to yeah. move on to sign off. We all get one. Um, would you like to go first and lead us off? Or would you like to close out? Uh, I'll go I'll go first. I'm, I'll get mine out of the way and then you guys can more, more profound probably. My, mine is, um, I, I'm going to rip off a... A, a, a saying that's relatively well known and has been used in a lot of different places, but I'm ripping it off from one of my uh, favorite non Song of Ice and Fire podcasts, and that is everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not the end. Ooh, very good. Lovely. Uh, that's more profound than mine. Me too. Um, I was just watching Lord of the Rings with my kids, and. Uh, this is Matt signing off, reminding you that it's quite simple. If you're a friend, you speak the password and the doors will open. And I'm just going to quote Marcus from earlier in this episode, uh, or at least paraphrase him. Just because you see sadness in someone's eyes doesn't mean they're not happy. Tail. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks. It was a Thanks, pleasure, guys. man. I appreciate all the prep, man. It sounds like you really attacked yes. this thing hard. So I think this is going to be a fun convo tonight. So, but yeah, f- fingers crossed. Agreed. I don't. I don't want to be the. I don't want to be the one who screws it up for uh, for the for the get to know episodes for Davos fingers. So uh, I, I have zero zero worry about that. If anything, Scott and I have done this 111 times now, and I think both of us still worry about being the same, doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I think every night I say to my wife before I record, I feel unprepared again, but I'm sure it will be fine. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's you know it's usually fine uh all right last last song of madness thing before we wrap up uh that part of the announcements what's been your favorite thing about a song of my uh, song of madness this year marcus so for me absolutely without question the um the, the people who have responded to the the stuff on twitter by picking a criteria and staying true to it and going with that criteria regardless of of, of who they're voting for is fantastic <laughs> Real, real strong shout out, and I think you've already already yeah. touched on them too. Um, the Orcs of Winterfell, who are just funny every single post that they update, really impressive stuff. Yeah, we've got, yeah. all got a lot of people sticking to their criteria. It's a lot of fun when that happens. Remind us of yours, Marcus. Oh, I I have no criteria. I I jump between. I was trying to remember. I was like, wait, what did he do? No, I, I totally jump between different things. I am so inconsistent. One day it's who's the best, who's the nicest person in um, in the universe. The next day it'll be who I like the best. And the day after that, it'll be who I think's the most cool. So I, I just vote with my heart and uh, put my criteria up afterwards and try and justify myself. I think that's I think that's the best way to do it, maybe. That, that's mine too. Mine's who's the most neat. And who's the most neat is different every yeah. day. Yeah. That, that's the thing is I just find that any one day you would have completely different criteria. So I just don't know who I'm going to, who I'm going to see and who I'm going to pick. It's just see it, vote, get it out the way and then live with the guilt afterwards. <laughs> and then live with the guilt the rest of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I've, it's been really fun to see how the criteria has been kind of this natural thing that has come up since uh, probably last year is when it really took off. I think we had some of it two years yeah. ago, but last year it seemed like a lot of people jumped on with that. And then this year people were talking about it months before a song of madness even started. They were already saying what their criteria was going to be. Yeah. But, um, uh, for me, probably my favorite part is, uh, the, the, we've had some bumps in the road, but there's been a significantly less toxicity this year. And I've just been really appreciative of that. We've had a couple things here and there. You always will. You can't control what people will say. Well, we can now that our account's private, but <laughs> a little better, but, uh, I've, I've experienced less toxicity and a little more positivity. And that's been really nice about you sked yeah I, I think actually you touched on on mine I, I think it's just the the positive reaction we had from having to go private um you know there could have been a lot of belly aching um you know about it and yeah we know it drives uh engagements down and things like that but the community was just so so grateful for you know for the tournament in general and really supportive of what we did even you know the information we had we we took we took our best action with the information we thought we had and, and after looking at the data and, and everyone was really supportive of that. So, you know, we really appreciate it. Um, so that and, uh, you know, just everyone bringing, bringing all their thoughts is, is really what I love about ESON in general. So that's my favorite again. But All right, well, let's get out of the Song of Madness talk. For those that don't follow it, they're probably really bored by now. Uh, <laughs> uh, our non-Twitter listeners. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you.